Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Favorite Ohio State football podcast brought to you by your good friends at Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice and Nathan Baird this week for the big Wednesday pod. Steven Bean's still off. He'll be back soon. Uh, we are diving into the NFL draft, but not just this draft, because honestly, in my 15 years covering Ohio State, I have realized that for a lot of you people, once they're gone and they can't play for Ohio State anymore, I also have run into this. Sometimes I say former Buckeyes and some people are like, once you're a Buckeye, you're always a Buckeye. You can't be a former Buckeye. And it's like, well, I mean, I get it. But Chase Young is not going to be wearing scarlet and gray in the fall. So at least on some level, he's a former Buckeye. But I know that you care more, most of you care more about the current guys than you do about the former guys. So we're going to do NFL draft talk, but we're not going to just focus on this draft. We're going to th- talk about the guys on the Ohio State roster and what they might be like as draft draft prospects when it gets to that point. I have research on how many draft picks overall there were on the full roster for the 2002 national champs and the 2014 national champs. And we'll talk about how many draft picks we think there might be on this 2020 roster, how many first round picks in 02 in 14 and on this 2020 roster. But then of course we will delve into the most interesting guys in this draft, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, J.K. Dobbins, Billy Harrison, Damon Arnett, all those guys. We asked our tech subscribers, both for the guys in this draft and the guys on the Ohio State roster still, who are they most interested in as draft prospects and why? And we got a wide variety of answers. We'll run through them. We also have some general questions from you guys. And you hear us referencing those tech subscribers. Those are friends of the pod. If you want to interact, if you want to be part of this and not just a listener, but an actual part of this podcast. Try a 14-day free trial, 614-350-3315. Okay. Let's dig in, Nathan Baird. First of all, when I ask people, the, the draft person in this draft, we'll start a little bit there, we'll bounce around. The Buckeye they're most intrigued about for the 2020 NFL draft, who do you think people said the most? Who was the guy that they were really interested in? I would say there were, well, 
there's probably four dudes they're most interested in. Who who do you think people are most interested in? For the upcoming draft, I would to me the interest is not in the top guys because we know they belong in the NFL. And it's probably not even a guy like Damon Arnett who belongs in the NFL, but what's his role, we'll see, or, or J.K. Dobbins. So I'm going to say someone like – I did not look at the answers. I would say K.J. Hill. Yeah, K.J. Hill is good. You actually sort of like in saying who you said you're not going to say actually gave what I think is the whole – is why they're interested. A guy who like belongs in the NFL, but you're not sure what that's going to mean – so K.J. Hill got seven votes. Damon Arnett got eight votes. People are really interested in Damon Arnett for the exact reason you just said. Say again what you said about Damon Arnett. We know – I believe he's an NFL player. Now, is he a, a is he a starter, a frontline NFL player, or is he a rotational NFL cornerback? We'll see. That is exactly what people are very interested in because I do think, to your point, like Chase Young, good. But like Damon Arnett, wide range, I think, of potential outcomes. So um, the, the overall voting, J.K. Dobbins was number one with 11 votes. Arnett got eight, K.J. Hill got seven, and Davon Hamilton got six. All guys who sort of fit that mid-range area. So we'll get to some, we'll have those discussions. Who's your guy? Like if I said like of anybody in this draft for Ohio State that you're most interested to see what they become as an NFL player, who's your guy? That's a great question because there really there's several guys who are really intriguing. Um, I think I might pick Malik Harrison, someone who seems like a mid-round pick, but maybe fighting his way up higher than that. And is he someone who could establish himself? quickly in the NFL as a starter and be one of those guys who becomes a, a just kind of a key defensive cog for a, a long time. Is he someone who, you know, sometimes you have to wait your turn at Ohio State. Sometimes statistically things can be um, misleading just because of you don't get to maybe pile up stats the way um, lesser team players from lesser teams do. And, he has so many intangibles and, and so many things working for him. He seems like someone who will end up having a better or more a more substantial pro career than he maybe would you would expect from the outside looking at his college career. Uh, from the 937, this texter said, the obvious choice is Chase. He's bust-proof, but will he be a star? But Malik Harrison, he could be a stud. He could get lost in the shuffle. I loved him as a Buckeye. 2018 caused him to be so underrated because of the underachieving defense. I think it that caused a lot of people uh, to have perceptions about different defensive guys. And so many guys from the 2018 defense came back in 2019 and did have a chance to sort of reestablish themselves. But I do think Malik Harrison falls under that. I think Damon Arnett falls under that a lot of like a guy that you were like, man, when that defense was giving up big plays and couldn't be relied upon. And you were like, I don't know if I believe in some of these guys. And then, you know, they got a better defensive plan. Um, they they played together more effectively, and they were allowed to sort of show like, hey, yeah, we're, we are that kind of guy. I will say there's, there seems to be – and a lot of this is – I mean, I, I was going to say a lot of this is made up. It's almost all made up when you get to the middle round because people start falling in love um, with guys in the middle of the draft. And 
you can have an opinion on like what round you think a guy's going to go in. But once you get out of the first round, it's very hard to start like pegging guys to a team. Because you can't say, well, this team is targeting this guy in the fourth round. Because you can't target. You can target 15 guys in the fourth round. But some of them are going to be gone. That said, people are starting to put Malik Harrison with the Browns. The Browns have a need at linebacker. A lot of people with the Browns are talking about Isaiah Simmons from Clemson. Could they maybe be interested in him if he somehow falls to 10? But with losing Christian Kirksey and Joe Schobert, they have Mac Wilson and Sione Takitaki as two second-year linebackers, but they're looking for something there. You have seen people say Malik Harrison and the Browns when you get to like the third or fourth round, could that be a match? Nathan, when you talk about Malik Harrison, like, I, I'm not as interested in Malik Harrison as I am some other guys because I'm not sure that his top end is like, you know, all pro kind of thing. I think it's like, is he going to be solid or is he not going to be a starter? Like, is he going to be a solid starter or is he going to be a special teams guy? Where do you think he starts to maybe become in the mix? Like, if you had to pick around where you think Malik Harrison will go at this point, you think like third, as high as third? I mean, yeah, the, the Browns have the 74th overall pick um, early-ish in the third round. That seems like a, a very plausible spot for him to fall. But um, I've seen mocks that have him 15 spots higher going in the second round. So, again, it, it's, it's obviously based all on speculation. But um, that seems to be where he's positioned himself. And I think teams, I think teams are saying the same thing as you, but maybe they see – the, they, they see kind of a, a a higher floor as being a good thing, even if the ceiling's lower, that you can take in the late second round, early third round. You can take a guy who you feel like can be – maybe he's only your third best linebacker his entire career, but that has value if he's if he's stable and productive. You're taking your third best linebacker in the second round? I don't – see, that's the thing. I think Lineba- it depends on the, the team, obviously. But th- There's a lot of – I mean th- – the, the some of these positions um, just are not as important in the modern day NFL, right? I mean, I just think it's hard. You're going to take a corner. You're going to take a pass rusher before you start dinking around with a linebacker there. Now, Malik Harrison is a guy. He played nickel all the time. I mean, he was on the field for the nickel defense. He can cover. Uh, he can play in space. He can tackle. Daniel Jeremiah, not Daniel Jeremiah. We're going to reference a couple different uh, draft um, people here along the way. Uh, PFF put out their rankings this week, their top 10 prospects prospects at every position at linebacker. They have Malik Harrison as the ninth best linebacker prospect. And so, you know, like the, the ninth best linebacker in the draft is like not going to go in the second round. Now, Matt Miller from Bleacher Report, he has Malik Harrison going pick 74 to the Browns. That's pretty early. That's like the the ninth pick, 10th pick in the third round to the Browns. That that would be really good for Malik Harrison, I think, if he's the 10th pick in the third round. It would I would have trouble seeing him go any higher than that though. I just I there's, just positionally. Yeah, there's a I, I see a there's a NFL.com had a, a mock that had him going 59th overall, so late second round, and then another one that had him going with the eighth pick of the third round on on CBS. So um, that's that seems to be that, that kind of range, you know, first half of the third round. I think end of the second round would surprise me a little bit just because of what you're saying, that maybe there isn't quite that the top-end expectation on him. 
All right, let's talk about this guy next because I I'm, I am very interested in this guy because I feel like he um, I think what has happened is maybe what I expected to happen in the draft draft process with him. Yet I'm also kind of surprised by it. KJ Hill and he was a guy who did get um, a lot of votes in this. So let's go through a couple of the KJ Hill comments uh, from the 816. I'm really interested in where KJ Hill ends up. If he ends up in an even halfway decent with a in a halfway decent quarterback situation, he could be a 10-year NFL vet. Great hands, good route runner, consistently gets separation, and just like every other Ohio State receiver in the league, he can block. I know the class is deep at receiver, but he should be a steal in later rounds. Uh, let's see who else had anything to say about KJ Hill. This is very popular. This is like a thing that lots of people like to say, and I'm not disparaging Charlie for saying it because I've said it myself. Charlie from the 773. Um, I don't necessarily have a guy that I'm watching, but I love to see Buckeyes fall into great situations. KJ Hill mocked to the Patriots seemed like a great system for him to drop into before Tom Brady left. But I'm always on the lookout for great situations. Um, that, like, like KJ Hill to the Patriots, like I've heard people say that for like three years. That, and that's like the Tom Brady Patriots. So maybe he finds a way to get to Tampa now, but I think KJ Hill is a receiver um, who has great film attributes that don't translate that well at the combine. Nathan, you really covered the Ohio state guys at the combine. Like KJ Hill didn't, didn't burn it up there. Right? No. I I mean, in terms of like speed, no, Uh, but I don't know that that's necessarily the first thing you look at at that spot, but I also think that in the NFL draft, especially I'm curious about Hill because this draft uh, by all accounts is so deep at receiver. And I I think it's why you're going to see guys who in another year, like a Ben Victor, Austin Mack may have no chance of getting drafted this year. And it may end up ultimately pushing someone like KJ Hill down, even though he, for a team that really needs a slot, he can kind of specialize there. But I, I just, again, if you haven't really separated yourself from a physical standpoint, it could be tough to rise on this draft. I mean, you look at, like, for instance, the PFF top 10 receiver rankings. Like, T. Higgins is seventh in the receiver ha- rankings. And, like, T. Higgins is a monster. Um, K.J. Hill's not going to be anywhere near anybody's top 10 of receivers in this draft. But I'm not surprised. I thought he puts up film. He's not going to do a great 40 time. I was not at all surprised by what he did not run. Uh, at the combine, he did not run very fast. Um, but I think he like finds ways to get open and he has good hands. So that this process seems to have reached a point where it's like, he's productive. He's not as athletic as some of these guys. And so Matt Miller from Bleacher Report has KJ Hill going in the fifth round at 177 to Kansas City. Like that, that feels like really low to me, but I also am not shocked by that. I think, and I, this, I say the same thing. I only have like two go-to moves for draft talk. Sometimes you're better off being a guy that one or two teams fall in love with but rather than being a guy that lots of teams like, because once you get into the middle rounds, the way you go off the board is that a team gets nervous that they're going to, someone else is going to steal them from you and, and it forces them to pull the trigger. So you know, if, if K.J. Hill is just one of those guys that seems fine and lots of teams are interested, but nobody's in love with him, then all of a sudden you think you might go in the third and you're going in the sixth because guys are flying off the board that teams fall in love with. 
if there's a team that thinks, you know what, this guy doesn't put up huge combine numbers, but he's productive, he's ready to play right now, we think we can put him in the slot and put him on the field tomorrow, and we like him, we like him, not just a guy like him, we like him, not just a slot receiver, him, K to the MFJ Hill. Then he could go in the third, and I think that might happen. So if I had to pick, I think I might pick K.J. Hill for like the third round. And I think I might take K.J. Hill ahead of Malik Harrison because I think K.J. Hill, despite some possible athletic limitations, I see more of a path for him to really help the team where I think Malik Harrison can be solid, but I think he might just be a guy who's kind of more like a lot of linebacks of the NFL, I think K.J. Hill could fill a specific role. If you were a GM, Nathan, who would you take higher, K.J. Hill or Malik Harrison? I think in this draft, I would probably, again, assuming it's it's based on positional need, you're probably taking Harrison higher because I just feel like there are more talented receivers in this draft than there are linebackers. From the 3-3-0, I love all the Buckeyes and can't wait to see them all in the NFL, but I'm really interested in K.J. Hill. If he gets in an offense with Breeze or Brady, for example, he can excel big time in those offenses. Not a number one receiver, but a reliable target in the middle of the field in an offense with a quarterback like Brady or Breeze will be good. High targets, um, maybe a Wes Welker role, for example, go Bucks from the 3-3-0. Like that, that's where I am. And it's easy to say it matters, like what team you go to. I hope someone goes to like a good team and you root for, you know, you don't want a guy to get lost um, in the NFL. But with a receiver like KJ, I think that applies more than almost any other type of player at any other position. You're really going to be quarterback dependent. I have, I have done it, I think, myself, and I have seen others done it, do it. Compare him to Jarvis Landry, right? And I think the Browns um, – I was on the Browns podcast uh, this week for their Tuesday podcast. They're also going – five days a week now. All of our sports podcasts at cleveland.com are now every weekday. So I was on with Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot uh, on their weekday podcast for the first time. And we were talking about other positions the Browns might draft. They have to, the Browns have to think about drafting some receivers because they're paying Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry so much money. They might not be able to keep both those guys long-term. I would say maybe for the 2021 season, one of those guys has to go. I think the Browns drafting someone like K.J. Hill in the third or fourth round as a Jarvis replacement makes a lot of sense. And so um, not that you would, not that the Browns would have to put K.J. Hill on the field right away. Baker Mayfield's not Drew Brees or Tom Brady, but I think that type of offense, the way Baker plays, I think that, for instance, could be a good matchup. And that's the only NFL team I know anything about. So we can't mock every single Ohio State player to Cleveland, but I like K.J. Personally, I like his game and like I would pick him. And and I'm not a hundred percent that way with like every single Ohio State guy of like, hey, I want that guy on my team. I, I'm gonna go get that guy. Some guys I'd be fine with, but KJ Hill would be a guy that that I might go get. Um let's do this guy, the most interesting guys, the, the number one pick for the most interesting eleven votes, J.K. Dobbins. Nathan I think J.K. is in some ways in a tough spot with all the things we know about the value of NFL running backs. Um, they have a short shelf life. Uh, lots of times teams on that second contract, unless you are a super duper star, they don't want to pay you. How do you see KJ, uh, J, uh, 
It's, I shouldn't have gone from KJ to JK. How do you see JK Dobbins NFL career kind of working out? What kind of path do you envision for him? I mean, I think he could be a productive back in the NFL. Do I think he is destined for superstardom? Um, I'm bearish on that. I, I don't, and, and not that I think he should play for the Bears. That that I'm. Can, I'm can I pause here for that. a second? Yeah. I always get confused. Which is the bear and which is the bull? Which is the good one and which is the bad one? The bull is good. What? What? Why? Why is a bull? Because a bull is delicious and you can eat a bull and nobody eats a bear. I think like a bull goes like charging and crashing through and the bear hibernates or something. I don't know. Really? I, so I, people, I, I, I'm completely speculating. Oh, that's also like the word opaque. I never know if the word opaque means you can see through something or you cannot see through something. There are certain words that are used in the world and I know sort of what it means, but what I might, I mean by that is I know it means either this thing or the exact opposite of that thing. So when opaque you say you're, you, you're bearish on you him, cannot see through it. opaque means cannot see through it? Correct. Okay. So you said you're bearish, and I was like, okay, that you are describing your feelings on him. I know that if you're bearish on him, that means you either feel good about him or feel bad about him. So, okay, bear is not that great. Yes, bullish means you you have you 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 think you you're investing because you think it's going to grow, and bearish you think it is going to underperform. Okay, so you are bearish on J.K. Dobbins as a in terms of a superstar. I think he'll be a productive NFL running back. I don't really have a lot of question about that. I, I think he, he proved himself to be versatile enough and, and durable enough and also just have kind of the skill to that, that you want, you know, the edge speed, that sort of thing. I, I think it stood out enough at the college level. It lets me think he's going to – he'll be able to play at, at the NFL level in the in the same role. Um, but whether or not he's going to be I, – I, I'm, I'm kind of curious you're – your take on this, because you saw someone like Ezekiel Elliott up close, who was like the last stud back that Ohio State had before this. He went sixth overall. So a team was seeing he him early overall. on. Or fourth overall, right. Um, yeah, he and Bosa both went in the top. Bosa went three. Oh, right. So both. Okay. So um, those two guys. So, But you've seen – so, again, he was one of those guys that NFL team or an NFL team – saw enough from that they were going to spend a high draft pick on him, which does seem more and more and more to be reserved for a very special group of running backs, whereas most teams are happy to go ahead and get even a guy that they think is going to be a starter in the second, third rounds, or, or even later sometimes. So I'm curious, your comparison between those two guys and their readiness to be potential you know, star in a running backs coming out of college. Yeah, I mean, Zeke was like a no-doubt-about-it workhorse back. Um, no doubt. The only question with Zeke is, do you take any running back that high, right? And I remember being at the Combine and first sort of thinking about, um, well, could he maybe go in the top half of the first round? And, oh, man, that'd be quite a thing if he can go. And then all of a sudden he starts rising, rising, rising. Oh, could he go in the top 10? It's like, well, of course he's going to go in the top 10. And then he goes four. But I also remember at that time, and I, I, it's one of these things, this is my strategy in life, is I try to have an opinion, and then if I turn out that I'm sort of right with my opinion, then I trumpet that opinion. And then if it turns out that I'm kind of wrong with that opinion, I let that opinion fade into the background. 
That's how you survive in this job, baby. You hope people don't like I apparently I perhaps may have last year predicted Ohio State to go nine and three. I'm gonna let that one fade. That's fading. But at the time of that draft in 2016, I actually kind of thought Derrick Henry might be a better NFL back than Ezekiel Elliott. And, you know, when you're, you know, I'm not going to like go around and scream that, but I was sort of like, well, Derrick Henry's like 10 feet tall and he has these broad shoulders and he feels like he's going to run you over. And Zeke is a tremendous athlete and is super powerful and also has breakaway speed. So, so I got that, like why Zeke went much higher. And then for a while there, it was like, well, that was a super ridiculous thing to ever think. Derrick Henry goes in the second round with the 45th pick of that draft to the Titans. Zeke goes number four. And then you look at this past, you know, you look in the, the last half of the NFL season and Derrick Henry tried to like carry the Titans to the Super Bowl by himself. And now you look at the money that Zeke got paid by the Cowboys and it's like, well, is he worth that? Well, it's not about his Zeke worth it. It's about is any running back worth that? Yeah. And the Panthers just gave a boatload of money to Christian McCaffrey. So my point is J.K. Dobbins is not Zeke. He's not close to Zeke. But – in his own way, I think he might end up being just as valuable to an NFL team because he's not going to go in the top 10. He's not going to demand, I don't think, a huge, giant contract by contract two. But, and I want us to differentiate this. You said you think it can be a productive back. Is he a 20 carry a game lead back? There's lots of places where, you know, teams sort of rotate guys a little bit. Is he a number one? Would you take him and say, this is our number one running back who's going to get 20 carries a game? Is that how you think you view him? I would take the under on 20 carries. I think it's more likely to put him in a situation, um, as we see more commonly in the NFL now, where it is kind of two guys who are, who are kind of splitting that up. Maybe it's not an even split, but especially right away, I don't think I, I'm putting him out there to be – that kind of bell cow from day one. All right. How many, how many carries is he going to average in year one? Uh, I mean, I, I don't have like the average NFL running back split up in front of me. Um, 14. Okay. So, but so that's very involved, right? That's an sure. important part of the offense. Very involved. Um, Here's and I think there's, I think the, the other thing with with Dobbins, not to interrupt, but the other thing with him that is a little bit, I, I have some question about is his role as a receiver. Um, I don't think he was bad as a receiver at Ohio State, but it also wasn't like they used him extensively in that role the way you sometimes see in the NFL that you would expect a a a what we're talking about these bell cow guys getting the kind of receptions they get sometimes. So that's a question that I still have out there. But that that comes down sometimes also to just the usage in a certain offense. Uh, Seth Shaner loyal uh, Buckeye Talk listener actually co-hosted one of the episodes when we were kind of in between guys a couple years ago. Love Seth. He says, Dobbins is the guy I'm most interested in seeing at the next level. He was so special in 2019, but I'm curious if it will transition to the NFL. He solidified his place as an all-time Buckeye running back, but I'm a little leery of his size and speed as a pro. That That is uh, the range that a lot of people are in. From the 708, JK, because I think he is that good and could be an absolute difference maker in the NFL. I don't think OSU fans will realize how good he was at Ohio State until he is in the NFL. 
uh, from the 513, probably JK. My immediate reaction is he isn't a quality NFL back. I look at the top running backs in the NFL, and I'm not sure if there is a specific thing or set of things that Dobbins does as well as those guys. I would like to see him succeed, and I see people say some team is going to get a steal with JK, but I'm just having a hard time envisioning it. From the 619, personally, I'm most interested in J.K. Dobbins. Does he have the breakaway speed, and is he big enough and solid enough in pass protection? He's got some of the best vision out there, but I think his breakaway speed, which was much improved in his junior year, was always a bit of a question mark at Ohio State. I think Zeke went top five because on top of being an outstanding runner, he was the best blocking running back I've ever seen. He was a complete package. I think J.K. is good, but he's not a complete NFL back right now like Zeke was going into the NFL. I've seen some buzz about J.K. to the Chiefs. I think that would be an awesome fit. The spread out run and gun style they use, I think, would give J.K. big running lanes. Um, I've got the number two and overall four overall picks in my keeper fantasy league, and I need running backs. I'm going to take J.K. with one of those picks, depending on where he goes. Okay, I'm rambling. Thanks, fellas, from the 619. So you can hear that, Nathan, sort of the split among Ohio State fans, right? I mean, we had people there who were saying they think he's going to be a star, and we had people there with absolute reservations about his transition to the NFL. Does that make sense to you that people are uncertain and that there is split opinion? I do, because it wasn't like he did this consistently through all three years. He did have that stumble as a sophomore um, that led people to question exactly what kind of trajectory he was on as far as being a, a great running back. I thought he answered a lot of those his junior year, but he also did it in a – a multifaceted dynamic offense um, with a great offensive line. Um, so he did have some help getting that done. The other thing that's tricky for JK is he was a limited participant at the combine due to injury. And with the way circumstances played out this year, he didn't get to come back to pro day and show some of those things, you know, put a 40 time up, do some of these other drills. I think that could be something that hurts him in terms of um, where he ultimately gets taken just because teams may have more reservations that didn't he didn't have a chance to answer. Um, so I, I'm going to make this comparison, then I want to get the couple of what other people think of J.K. Carlos Hyde was the 57th pick in the second round of the 2014 NFL draft um, by the San Francisco 49ers. He kind of gets stuck uh, behind Frank Gore a little bit there. He only had 333 yards his rookie year. He got hurt his second year and had 470 yards in seven games. So if he would have played the whole year, that's almost like would have been close to a thousand yard year. Um, in 2016 and 2017 in San Francisco, he was the lead guy. Uh, he averaged 17 carries a game in 2016. He averaged 15 carries a game in 2017. He had 988 yards, 4.6 yard average in 16. He had 938 yards, a 3.9 yard average in 17. Uh, he then left. He wound up in Cleveland, did not work out in Cleveland, went to Jacksonville, and then wound up in Houston in 2019 and was their lead guy, averaged 15 carries a game, had his first 1,000-yard season, uh, 1,070 yards, started 14 of 16 games, 4.4-yard average. So I think Carlos Hyde is like almost like the average NFL back. If he's your number one running back, like I don't think that's great. The Browns figured that out pretty quickly that he's, you know, Nick Chubb is better. This guy is just blocking Nick Chubb. We're going to get rid of Carlos Hyde. Like, he's fine. He's fine. And in an offense in Houston, when he had Deshaun Watson as his quarterback and DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller and all these other things, then, okay, it, it was fine. 
he's not going to win you games. He's going to be okay. And then you reach a point where like, you don't really want to pay necessarily all that much for okay. Cause I think you feel like with a guy like Carlos Hyde and congratulations to him on making money in the NFL. And he's been in the league for six years and a six year career for a running back. And he just had his first thousand yard season. That's great. He's not a difference maker. I think JK's better than that. So JK is not Ezekiel Elliott. But I also think J.K. is not Carlos Hyde. I think he is a step above Carlos Hyde in that I do think J.K. can be the lead running back on a playoff team, on a good team, and be a guy that is not just a complimentary piece. You know, hey, we have a great quarterback, and we're chucking it all over the place, and every now and then we'll hand it to our running back to get four yards a pop. I think J.K.'s vision, the breakaway speed I get, we know he got caught from behind by the safety in the Clemson game. But I think his vision, and he has the speed, he can get to the corner and wide zone, get around the edge. I do like him between the tackles. I don't think he goes down on the first hit. I think something like a Nick Chubb-type draft for him, and I'm not comparing him to Nick Chubb, but will he be a first-round pick? I would guess no. Will a team go for him pretty quickly in the second round with a plan to put him on the field in 2020? That's what I think. So if I had to pick, I think J.K. goes in the first half of the second round. Does that, If that's my prediction, is that in the range of your predictions for where he'll be drafted, Nathan? Yeah, no, I think that's completely plausible. I was looking around at some um, mock drafts the other day, and it, I looked at Sporting News, CBS, and NFL.com, and Sporting News had him at 45th overall, CBS 55th overall. So Sporting News definitely in your range, CBS a little bit later, and in NFL – com didn't have him going until the 72nd pick overall in the third round. I mean, I think this is – he's a guy that I think – I don't think every team is going to look at him the same way. I think a team like, – like Kansas City makes a lot of sense just because they are set up in so many other ways, and the running back isn't necessarily going to be the – they don't necessarily need a guy to go out and get 20 carries a game and be a stud. And I mean, I think there's a lot of people – who can't name who the running backs were last year for Kansas city and they were the super bowl champions. So that's a, that's one reason why that a team like that makes sense. I think there's some other teams out there that their offense is set up in such a way that they don't need to go out and draft a bell cow. They just need to go out and draft a guy who is a productive football player in their system. So one thing that I think a lot of Ohio state fans will be interested in is where JK goes in comparison to Jonathan Taylor, PFF, their running back rankings, they have DeAndre Swift from Georgia on top, and I think DeAndre Swift is opening a lot of eyes. I think he's a little more explosive. He was a guy, I think I might have picked him to win the Heisman a year or two ago. Um, DeAndre Swift won, Zach Moss from Utah two, Jonathan Taylor three, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from LSU. And it's funny, well, I remember when we were talking about, you know, does Ohio State need a great running back um, to win a national championship? And people were like, well, LSU didn't have a great running back. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he hadn't had a great career. Then he had a good final year. And it's like, okay, now here we are in the draft, and he's ranked ahead of J.K. Dobbins. So Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is pretty good. If we're waiting for, like, Trey Sermon, I don't think that's the right comparison for what we're looking at at Trey Sermon and Marcus Crowley and Master Teague at Ohio State in 2020. Anyway, uh, CEH, he's fourth. J.K. Dobbins, fifth. So that's the PFF rankings. And then Daniel Jeremiah from NFL.com. His running back ranking, Swift 1, Edwards-Hilaire 2, Taylor 3, Dobbins 4. So that's in that range. I would take J.K. Dobbins ahead of Jonathan Taylor. I get the DeAndre Swift love just from the explosion standpoint. J.K. doesn't have any injury questions though or anything. I think he's durable. Um, 
I think early second round, maybe as high as the second running back off the board will be my prediction in the end for J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Right. doesn't have J.K. doesn't have long-term injury questions, but he does have one right now, or he did as of the combine. So again, that's why I think that could cause some slippage. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it, not a not like blown out knees and like injury right. history of like long term stuff, but he got not his ankle whacked in the in the Clemson game, right? As we saw, and that did limit him at the combine. Let's do last guy, and then we'll take a quick break of the most interesting, Davon Hamilton. I was a little surprised by this um, that this many people. Well, actually, there's two more guys. We'll save Damon Arnett for after the break. Davon Hamilton, six votes. Why do you think? And I'll read some of them. Why Why do you think people are interested in what Davon Hamilton's going to do as a pro? I think part of it is just he's he's such an under-the-radar player, even at Ohio State in some ways, right? Like, I mean, you're, you're on a defense with Chase Young, who takes up so much oxygen, not just on the defensive line, but on the whole program. You're on the same defense as Jeff Okuda, the top defensive back in this draft guy who also could go in the top three. Um, you've got other guys coming up on this defensive line because you're at a program where they're always looking for who's the next big thing coming off the edge. Um, you Then you start talking about people like Malik Harrison. Davon just doesn't have, you know, it, it'd be one thing if he was productive at the same level of production and just had kind of an over-the-top personality or something that, like, that, that demanded attention. But that's not really kind of how he operated. And I think part of it is just he – he ends his Ohio State career maybe with um, less appreciation than if he had come along in a different year in some ways. He would have been able to stand out a little bit more. Um, so I think that's part of it is that there's – Ohio State fans are maybe have more recognition of him or respect – or um, not respect, but like um, admiration for him as he is leaving, appreciation of what he did than maybe there was quite in the moment. Because it's not necessarily sexy to do some of the things that an interior defensive lineman does. From the 937, I'm most interested in seeing how Davon Hamilton ends up. He always flew under the radar at Ohio State and then tested extremely well. I see shades of Geno Atkins in him. That is high praise. And wouldn't that be neat to see him possibly outshine Chase Young at the next level? I would not hold your breath on that. Mm -hmm. Not that I don't think Chase Young will shine, but Geno Atkins was all decade and on his way to the Hall of Fame. And if he can compare to Geno, then every team will be running to pick him in the third round. Woo! Coming in hot on Davon Hamilton. I like the passion. That is not where I would go on that. 7-4-0. I'm interested in seeing where Davon Hamilton goes, uh, the what round, and the team fit. I think he's going to be a stud. Um, any more Davon Hamilton that stood out? Uh, let's see. I'd love to see how Davon Hamilton's career shakes out. That's from the 5-1-3. He wasn't really on any NFL radars throughout the season and into the beginning of the offseason. But once he went down to the Senior Bowl and draft analysts started grinding tape, he's done nothing but shoot up boards into a second or third round projection. I truly think the guy can be a defensive line's anchor and a decade-long consistent starter with the right fit from the 5-1-3. Um, I, I, that is like a really interesting Evaluation. Here's where I think um, Hamilton gets interesting, although I'm not nearly as interested in him as, as some of you people are. We talk a lot about those fifth-year seniors who pop in their last year and really make a difference. That is a standard part of any good program, and it has been a standard part of Ohio State. Not a ton of those guys turn out to be great NFL players. A lot of those guys are more like, well – in their last year, they were really helpful, and then they were like an undrafted free agent. They went into a camp, 
didn't make a team, and that was it. And that he sort of fit like that late career riser, and then it's like, oh, by the way, he might be a top 100 NFL draft pick. That is kind of an odd combination. So I do think um, it's hard to go from being a guy that, like, not that many people talk about to being a potential second or third round pick in the NFL. So I guess, I guess that's where the fascination is, right? Yeah. And I think also, I mean, he went to the combine and had the best bench press um, of any defensive lineman at the combine. I think those sort of things grab attention um, because that at the end of the day is, is what a lot of evaluations are getting. That's what, that's what tiebreakers are. are. You know, there's a lot of good guys out there, but what, who are the guys who showed up and, and proved themselves to, to, to stand out above other guys? I know not everybody did, does everything at the combine. And, but again, this is a year where uh, guys who didn't, didn't get to, you know, show that they could beat that at their own pro day or whatever. So, or a lot of them didn't. So um, I, I like his chance. I, I think he's going to, he probably has pushed himself into the third round. I mean, you look around at the mocks again, there's only so much you can put in that, but um, they seem to be pretty consistently saying this is a guy that's going to go late third round. Is that some kind of group think? Is that Intel that they're getting from enough, enough, enough teams that they feel like that's where he's going to end up? I, I don't know, but th- there seems to be a strong belief out there that he's a, a, a second day NFL draft pick. Uh, Matt Miller from Bleacher Report, always one of the guys who does the, the big seven-round mock drafts, has Davon Hamilton 156 in round five uh, to the 49ers. Um, I am less interested in Davon Hamilton because, you know, like he's going to – I don't know that his upside is like major NFL difference maker. So to be interested in like, hey, is he going to make it or not make it? Like I get that, but I just think there's um, – and, and again, it's like do – I'm trying to think like Adolphus Washington, right? So Adolphus Washington was a third round pick, um, more natural talent than Davon Hamilton. I never necessarily thought that Adolphus was going to be a huge NFL guy. Like do NFL, do Ohio State fans like really know what Adolphus Washington is doing in the NFL, right? Draymond Jones was a guy that I thought was like a really interesting um, draft pick a year ago. Um, He went to Denver with – pick 71 in the third round. Like I would take Draymond Jones ahead of Davon Hamilton as much as Davon Hamilton made a difference. Like Draymond Jones, like carried the Ohio state defensive line, like by himself in 2018 and generated like one man pressure half the time. Um, And wound up pick 71 in the third round. So like, I know Davon Hamilton's a different kind of player. And I know he, his combine numbers were good stuff. I would take Draymond Jones ahead of Davon Hamilton. So it's hard for me to envision Davon Hamilton in the third round. So I think more like fifth round for him, but even like do people do Ohio state fans, were they like eagerly following Draymond Jones in Denver this year? So it's kind of funny to me. Like, I can't wait to see what an interior defensive lineman who's going to be picked in the mid rounds. I can't wait to see what his career is going to be like. It's like, well, okay. If you love Ohio state that much that you are following interior offensive line play for the Detroit lions or wherever Davon Hamilton goes more power to you. He would not be um, a top guy on my list. And I'm going to guess more like fifth round for a guy like that. Just, just, you know, my uneducated guess, which is what this podcast is. All right, quick break on Buckeye Talk. We'll be back. We're going to start getting into some of the 2020 guys and talking about the NFL draft prospects on this roster right now. And then we'll go back to some of these NFL draft guys, Damon Arnett, Jeff Okuda, Chase Young, many other interesting guys. But first, a quick break on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk, the thing I want to get into now, and this was Nathan's idea, 
Nathan, when we were talking about doing a draft podcast, and I was a little worried about doing too much about guys who aren't on the team anymore, explain where you sort of got the idea for this next part of our discussion. Well, I think, again, like kind of like you say, it, it's it's not necessarily who is going to be – where people are going to be drafted this fall. It's because that's past. It, it's, it's who is going to be drafted next fall, who's going to be drafted in 2022, um, how much – NFL talent is on Ohio State's roster this fall because that ultimately determines how good this team will be, what its chances potentially of competing for a championship are, and how that builds into each successive year, how much more NFL talent is coming, how much NFL talent is hiding lower on this roster potentially that hasn't had a chance to break through yet. Maybe maybe not even won't in 2020 because of just depth at certain positions. So I think people are always – more interested in what's coming for the NFL draft than what's right in front of them um, after, after, you know, the intrigue of, of Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, and some of the other top guys. All right. So um, you tell me right now, and I did this exercise. Maybe I don't know if I told you to do this exercise. This might be unfair of me. Maybe it'll be me saying it. Wait, how did I find the sheet? Hold on. Um, I predicted how many guys on the 2020 roster um, I think will be first round picks at the end of their playing careers. And that is like super hard to do. Um, I get it, but I did it anyway. Um, do you, do you want to play that game or is that unfair for me to uh, spring this uh, on you right this very second? I think if you're talking about, I think I can probably play this game. Okay, so and it, and it's uh, it, you know it's anybody on the roster. So like we're gonna do some stuff where I again I looked out at the draft picks for guys who were on the 2002 national title team and the 2014 um, national title team, and you know like Troy Smith um, was on the 2002 Ohio State team. I mean, he was a redshirt freshman. He didn't play. He was redshirting, but he was on the roster. So as long as you're on the roster, um, I. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. How many do you think, how many guys do you think I said would be first round picks at the end of their careers off the current 2020 team? Well, I just heard you count to seven, so it's at oh, least seven. People, <laughs> people could hear that? <laughs> yeah, when you, when you say things out loud into a microphone, they get recorded and or broadcast. <sighs> okay, that's my, that's my bad. That's my bad. I apologize for that. Um, we can also, we can go back to we can go back to before you count it out loud and re 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 record the podcast if you'd like. And I can pretend like I didn't hear that, but I did. Okay. I have the same. No, I have, I have seven that I think are for sure, and then a couple borderline guys. Okay, so so part of this is like weird and unfair and ridiculous and what the hell do we know? But again, that's our podcast. All right, let's go through the guys. So. Name, name your first guy off the 2020 roster Justin that you said. Justin Field. Okay. I have him also. All right. I'm going to name one now. I'm going to say uh, Sean Wade. Yes. Okay. Also on my list. All right. Now you say a guy. Wyatt Davis. I have Wyatt Davis also. All right. It's getting a little harder now. I have Zach Harrison. I also have Zach Harrison. Okay. You go. <sighs> Paris Johnson. I have Paris Johnson. Which is like, yeah, hey, hey, guy who was on campus for nine weeks and then went back to Cincinnati <laughs> yeah. and is 18 who, who years old. Who may not old. start this fall, yeah. 
I talked to his mom yesterday, so I have, I'm going to have something coming on him in a little bit. Um, ridiculous, but again, that, that's the point of this. Um, all right, I have Garrett Wilson. I also had Garrett Wilson. And, and similarly, I also had Julian Fleming. All right, is that your full list? The Fleming one is – that was like the, the one of the seven that I had maybe the most reservation about. That is my full list. That is my full list. Like I did not put um, Josh Myers on my list for a first round pick. I didn't put Chris Olave uh, on my list. I didn't put CJ Stroud um, as a first rounder. I didn't put Nicholas Petit Frere. I didn't put, you know, so, so that's the kind of guys. I think that's a pretty solid seven though. As much as there's crazy projections, it's like, well, we're projecting basically the best freshman tackle in this class recruiting class and the best freshman receiver in this recruiting class. And we're saying that three or four years from now, they will be first round NFL picks that does work out that way. I mean, it's like people want to poo poo recruiting. There are lots of times where the really good guys in high school are then the really good guys in college and get drafted very high in the NFL. I'm comfortable with that seven, but let me tell you this, the 2002 national title team, the 2014 national title team, Guess how many first-rounders there were off those two teams? Again, full roster. Combined? In each of them. In each of them. We just did seven for 2020. Um, three. So 2002, it was eight. And 2014, it was nine. Oh. So – we're like in the right range. Oh, you're talking about – I'm sorry. Yeah, for, for the entire roster. Okay, yeah. yeah the yeah, thing no, we sorry. just yeah. did. The thing we just did, <laughs> applying the thing right. we just did to other things. Yes. So um, in, in both those situations, um, a lot of the, the picks ended being up like later. It was kind of weird. Uh, like there were – the 2002 national title team, there were no first rounders in the draft immediately after. Two years later, there were three first-rounders, but actually there were a bunch of young guys like A.J. Hawk, for instance, and Nick Mangold who were freshmen. There were five guys who got drafted later who were, like, hanging around as newbies on that team. So it wasn't like the 2002 national title team was actually fueled by a million first-rounders. They just had some young guys hanging around. Obviously, the 2014 national title team was fueled by a lot of first-rounders, um, None in the draft immediately after, but then five the next draft. Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, Eli Apple, Darren Lee, all those kind of guys. Taylor Decker. Um, those are the kind of guys. So the point is, for us to project seven first-round picks off a really good Ohio State team is normal. Like, before we started this exercise, I mean, I don't know. Did seven sound normal to you, or did that seem kind of high to you? No, it- in seven seems about right for a program of this caliber when again you're you're spreading it over a three or four year span still really it's not just everybody who's going to go in 2021 um because again like we said someone like paris johnson may not have a big role in 2020 but seems like an obvious guy who is is on a first round trajectory if, if everything follows through for him similarly i could see someone from this receiver group who may not get a lot of targets in 2020 just because it's it's a it's a fairly deep room, but come back to me in three years and maybe they've forced themselves into being an obvious first round choice. You know, someone like a Jackson Smith and Jigba or G Scott, maybe they you know 
who knows what, how many balls they can get in 2020, but by 2022, maybe it's like, oh, well, clearly this guy's one of the best receivers in college football. I mean, we just did the bus podcast last Wednesday, which I think people seem to enjoy. And if you guys missed that one, make sure you catch up on that. We all picked like the, the Buckeye we're driving the bus for that we really believe in the most. And we had our, our tech subscribers give their answers as well. And Jamison Williams was the number one guy on that list people are driving the bus for. I mean, if Jamison Williams, if it works, if it pops, and like two years from now, Jamison Williams is a first round pick. Like that's not crazy. I almost think, I think you and I were like conservative a little bit with these seven right now. Of yeah. course we're like on one hand, we're like doing crazy projections for Paris Johnson and Julian Fleming. But like, we didn't say legend Cavazos is going to be a first round pick. Cause Steven's not on the podcast this week. We didn't say <laughs> like, you know, we, I said, we didn't say Josh Proctor, who's never been a starter. Although again, you've made the Marshawn Lattimore all-stars who could go from being a one-year starter to a first-round NFL pick. I think seven is conservative. I think it'll be like at least seven if we look back in five years from now and it was 11 or 12. I don't think that would be crazy at all. Well, because, like, again, like we're saying, you you mentioned Josh Myers. He was someone else I had kind of on the fringe of my list. Um, It's a little bit tougher for interior offensive line guys to go that high. Um, it, it maybe just depends on the positional need for teams or just how much a certain guy really explodes. But I could certainly see him being in that conversation because I think he's going to be considered one of the best centers in college football coming this fall. And like I said, if I were picking then a ninth guy, I might just say, well, some other receiver. Like there's just too much receiving talent here for one of those guys probably not to emerge as that kind of talent over the next three years. And I would also maybe say somebody else from this defensive front, whether that's someone like um, Teron Vincent, I, I don't, maybe there's somebody else in this mix that, that would force themselves into that conversation. Tyreek Somebody Smith. like that. Yeah, Tyreek Smith. Would be, yeah, he would be the obvious cho- choice. Like, I could see somebody else up front proving themselves to be that kind of talent. So I could see easily getting the 10 um, and not even feeling that um, tough about it. All right. So the guy that, that people are the most interested in, and we'll dive right in on this. He got uh... – 11 votes, by far the most of guys that you're interested in as an NFL prospect in the current roster, is obviously Justin Fields. And here's why. From the 614, I'm probably not the only one to say his name, but of the current Buckeyes, I want to see Justin Fields blow up in the NFL. I want Fields to instantly become a franchise quarterback and be competing in the playoffs. I want the top player in each position in the NFL to be a Buckeye. Um, how many would you say we have right now? How many are at least top five in their position? It does not seem like we have a top five quarterback in the NFL. So I am looking forward to Fields filling that role. Of all the things, and, and people love to have these discussions about, you know, DBU and the linebackers that Ohio State has sent and the defensive ends um, and the receivers that they're starting to put out now. This is obviously clearly the position where Ohio State does not have a guy to sort of hold up like that. And frankly, like lots of other Big Ten teams do. Drew Bree- Purdue has Drew Brees. Michigan has Tom Brady. Uh, Wisconsin has Russell Wilson. Like there are Big Ten quarterbacks out there succeeding. And Ohio State doesn't have one. And now Dwayne Haskins is in sort of treading water right now. But um, from the 419, I'm really excited to see Justin Fields in the NFL. He seems like the perfect NFL quarterback, something Ohio State has never really had. Nathan, that that, that, that exists, and nobody disputes that. And I thought Dwayne was going to be the, the guy to change this. And we put a lot on Dwayne. 
middle of the first round. He's kind of in a weird spot in Washington, and we'll actually have you talk about that in a moment. But the idea that Ohio State has does not have an NFL quarterback like that, you know, you've been here almost a year now. Isn't that weird? It is a little bit weird. Um, at the same time, though, again, it, it does kind of help put some perspective on what it means to be a college star and what it means to succeed in the NFL because, uh, you know, you, you get guys in the NFL from uh, Delaware and from um, Joe Flacco. Northern Iowa and just like an offshoot. Eastern Illinois. Eastern Illinois, um, the alma mater of, of two members of my immediate family. Um, it's, Are you related uh, to Tony Romo? I'm not. Okay. I'm not. I, um, I'm related to Carol and Gary Baird, who both went to Eastern Illinois. Carol um, Baird has a has a freaking rocket, though, doesn't she? I mean, Carol Baird. I've <laughs> it's always... actually my dad's name. <laughs> Your dad's name is Carol Baird, and I just called him a yes. girl? Is yes, that right? yes. He's only been dealing with that for, you know, 80-some years, but it's fine. Does he have um, a rocket? Does he have a rocket for an arm, though? Can he sling it? Um, but probably back in the day, he was more of a basketball guy. I don't think he ever really played football. Carol Baird is not your sister. It's your father. Yes. I apologize. <laughs> um, Carol yeah, O'Connor I mean, is a famous actor. Carol O'Connor is exactly. Archie Bunker. Exactly. Back in the day, it was a more common name. This is what this is the kind of name you end up with when you were born in 1938 and you were like the second youngest of 13 kids or whatever. They start running out of names. They have to get creative. He's got a lot. His uncles are all Dean and and Don and Jack and names like that. And then they got to they were just out of boy names in 1938, so they had to go with something new. Um, but no, I, I just think, but it 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 does. That's that's where I was going with that. Like it it, dif- it differentiates what it means to be a college star and maybe just excel in a system. I mean, how many national championships has Alabama won and who are their NFL quarterbacks? Um, Joe Namath. Know, I mean, yeah. Okay. From 19. Well, Ohio state doesn't even have that. I, it's, okay. But that's what I'm saying. You, you just named one. I mean, there aren't, again, Alabama's not consistently sending great quarterbacks up to the NFL. Um, and yet they still no one would say that they haven't had a, a tremendous college program. But I would also say that I've seen firsthand. God, I hate mentioning Purdue so much. I know our, our readers do, too. But you brought up Drew Brees. And I've seen firsthand the kind of impact that that can make, because even when you're even when your program dips and obviously Ohio State's never going to dip to the levels that, that Purdue fluctuates. But it 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 means something when you have a marquee talent at the quarterback position in the NFL that you can use to kind of market your program in a different way. And as much as Ohio State is already becoming a bit of a destination for top quarterback talent, I think having someone like Justin Fields go to the NFL and succeed potentially puts that on a different plane. All right. Get ready to have your mind blown. I am looking at uh, profootballreference.com. There's hyphens in between that. Just such a good site. I use it for college football reference. <clears throat> they have baseball reference, pro basketball reference, but pro-football-reference.com. You can just look up so much different stuff. According to this, and this is right. This is, I mean, I trust them because they're right. How many times, how many seasons have there been where an Ohio State quarterback, a quarterback that has graduated from Ohio State or left Ohio State as a Buckeye, how many times has that guy thrown at least 10 touchdown passes in the NFL? Not number of guys, but number of seasons that an Ohio State quarterback has done that. So, for instance, like Michigan quarterback, there'd be like 
at least 20 yeah. seasons of it because Tom Brady's done it like 20 times. How many seasons for an Ohio State quarterback? I mean, I, obviously my Ohio State history isn't as, as extensive as some people. So, but I mean, just to get to 10, I would say five. Okay, six. In NFL history, six. Yeah. Six. Four of them are Mike Tomzak, one is Kent Graham, and one is Bobby Hoying. <laughs> the most that an, the best, the, like the best season um, that an Ohio State quarterback ever had. Mike Tomzak had a year in 1989 with the Bears when he threw for 2,058 yards and he had 16 touchdowns and 16 interceptions. And Mike Tomzak had a year with the Steelers in 1996 where he threw for 2,700 yards and he had 15 touchdowns and 17 interceptions. And those are like the greatest seasons by a quarterback, an NFL quarterback for a Buckeye. That's the greatest. That's the bar that we are talking about. So what and, – and again, Dwayne Haskins in year one with the Redskins, he had seven touchdowns and seven interceptions – he threw for 1,365 yards uh, in nine games, seven of them starts. Um, before I, I blow my own mind with this, this stat, which I, it's crazy to think about, you wrote about um, Chase Young and him going to the Redskins or not going to the Redskins at two. But isn't it interesting, is not that decision about where Chase Young ends up tied up a little bit in Dwayne Haskins, right? 100%. Like, you know, there's – there's people who think Chase Young is the no doubt guy that Washington has to take him at number two. There's other people who think they need to take the best quarterback available there, whether that's Tua, whether I guess some people might even think it's Justin Herbert, but most people think it's Tua. Um, I just, it's, it's an interesting situation to be in as a franchise. It's typically why you're keep drafting at the top of the first round, because you just took a quarterback in the first round last year. Not even at the end of the first, like you said, middle of the first rounds. So you expelled, expen, used a pretty high draft pick to get a quarterback last year, and now to then have to go right around and do it. I know you've had a leadership change as far as your head coach and, and some other decision-making people, but to then bail on that after one year and use a, another first-round pick um, on a quarterback who also has some question marks, ah, man, that just seems really tough. I, what I think might even be smarter would be for Washington to trade out of two if they're going to take a quarterback, I would almost trade out of two, get extra picks, and then you can still get a pretty good one drafting fifth, sixth, whatever. Dwayne Haskins, the 15th pick by the Redskins last year. Remember, everybody freaked out when the Giants took Daniel Jones at six and did not take Dwayne. So Dwayne went 15th, but going into the draft, most people thought he was going to be a top 10 pick. So the model that everyone's talking about is what Arizona did, where they drafted Josh Rosen at 10, give up on him the next year, take Kyler Murray at one. Um, and again, regime change matters. Ron Rivera, the former Panthers coach, now in charge there in Carolina. And they brought in Kyle Allen, who had been sort of Cam Newton's backup in Carolina under Ron Rivera. And Ron Rivera is like talking about like, oh, well, Kyle Allen could play. So we don't know anything. The quotes that you've read from Ron Rivera, like, don't seem great for Dwayne, right? I believe in Dwayne still, but it's kind of a weird vibe coming out of Washington, isn't it? It is, but uh, his comments as far as um, what he thinks of the two pick also still 
make me tend to think they're thinking about Chase there, just that when you've got a chance to get one of these kind of generational players, you can't trade down if you don't think you're going to also get somebody pretty, you know, of that same level. Um, but maybe he's actually talking about Tua there. I, I don't know. Um, it, it doesn't sound great, but at the same time, it, it, it just seems so early to give up on a guy. I don't know that Dwayne Haskins show. Did, did Dwayne Haskins have some kind of incredible rookie year, even in just the half season he played? No, he didn't. The other factor there is that team is garbage. That franchise has been pretty well garbage for a long time. It's one of the, it's just consistently one of the worst in the NFL. So I don't know that any rookie quarterback you brought into that situation last year was going to turn that team into something more than it was. I, I'd like to see what a guy like he, him could do with more talent around him. Um, so yeah, it's tough, but so, so the point, but so the Justin Fields has an opportunity right in front of him to almost immediate, immediately be the most successful NFL quarterback in Ohio state history from the six one four. This person said they're interested in JK Dobbins right now and Justin Fields in the next draft. And for the same reasons, that's two positions that if they succeed, the current coaching staff will benefit in future recruiting. Other positions, Ohio State has established itself as a place to succeed. Like, you mentioned that, how big of a deal it is for Purdue to have Drew Brees. Like, does that make sense to you that that would have a truly lasting effect on Ohio State, especially when they don't have that quarterback? That makes sense. You said that already, but that makes sense to you, right? I think it it probably helps a little bit. It helps more, obviously, at a place like Purdue, where you don't have as much other things to hang their hat on. One of the one of the things they have is the cradle of quarterbacks, and it goes back before Drew Brees. They've actually had a pretty long lineage of of great quarterbacks. To them, several of them went on did things good things in the NFL to Hall of Fame guys. So it's it's a little bit different there because at Ohio State, you're always going to have other things. You expect that kind of excellence at every position every year. So I, I don't know that it has as seismic of an impact necessarily at Ohio State. But again, speaking to what the, what you brought up, it's just that they, they haven't necessarily pr- produced NFL kind of talent at that. And as we've talked about, I know I brought up the Alabama example, but let's also bring up the Clemson example where they keep bringing in NFL quarterbacks. And regardless of what else happens on their roster below them, it helps keep them in that national championship conversation every year. So I I think if if Ohio State can marry those two things, it could get really special. I mean, when they have the NFL guys, they sure as heck pump it up. I mean, they never stop talking about all the NFL defensive backs they have. They never stop talking about it. Right. And the idea that they cannot – have you ever heard any – Urban Meyer or Ryan Day, has anybody ever said, oh, come to Ohio State, the home of Mike Tomzak and Kent Graham. Be the next Bobby Hoying. Be a Buckeye quarterback. They don't have that to sell. They have nothing to sell at quarterback. And I do understand it's such a big deal. If Justin Fields, I mean, they sell, they sell the Bosa brothers. They sell Ezekiel Elliott. They sell Michael Thomas. And we'll run through some of that in a minute. They sell all their NFL guys right now, for sure. Marshawn Lattimore, Denzel Ward. If they had a quarterback to sell, they would sell the heck out of it. It very well could be Justin Fields. It might still be Dwayne Haskins, and I wanted to include this from the 419. This person is really excited about J.K. Dobbins in this draft, but then they brought up Dwayne Haskins, and they said the disrespect, people already writing him off as a bus, people saying they should take Tua. 
people already putting him under a microscope for ridiculous reasons, like how he celebrated during his first ever NFL victory for a team that quite frankly should be celebrating after every victory at this point. <laughs> this man came in stone cold in the greatest rivalry in sports and willed us to victory in 2017. This man had a season in 2018 that no Buckeye quarterback has ever had. He has played one rookie season in a mess of a system with two coaches, and now he has the chance to work with Ron Rivera. I thought that was a very good point from the 419. But it really could be interesting for Ohio State – if, if Dwayne gets a shot, whether it's in Washington or whether they give up on him and trade him somewhere else and he gets an opportunity there, if we now have – and we know Dwayne and Justin have a good relationship. If Dwayne and Justin in the NFL would start on like a similar path of like let's watch these two both grow as starting franchise-type NFL quarterbacks, that would that would really be interesting for Ohio State. And so – as you think about Justin Fields as a prospect, though, Nathan, and a year from now, people are already starting the discussion. Justin Fields versus Trevor Lawrence probably will be the battle to be the number one pick in the 2021 draft. And again, that will be in Cleveland. We will see Justin Fields, hopefully and everything will be back to normal. We'll see him walk across the stage in Cleveland uh, for his NFL draft moment. Do you feel like when it's that you feel like, yes, Justin Fields has what it takes to not just be a high pick, but then really succeed at the NFL. I do because it's a, <coughs> it's a combination of what we've seen from him skill-wise, whether that's arm strength, whether that's mobility, whether that's just ath- athleticism, his durability, the way, you know, his, his size and the way that he can take contact and keep going and is not scared of contact and will, will kind of even seek it out at times. Um, and, but, but also is smart about it. And I, I think can, can, can avoid it the way he needs to all those things combined with just the efficiency that he plays with. He makes good decisions. Um, doesn't turn the ball over, at least doesn't throw a lot of interceptions. Um, th- those sorts of things, I think kind of mesh up as to what you want from a, a potential franchise quarterback. Honestly, as I'm trying to evaluate this, and again, this is sort of like off the top of my head, I think it's possible that Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, right? If we're going to, I think they're similar in a lot of ways. Um, They both can sling it. They both are good athletes who can get out and run. Um, They're both going to have a lot of experience. Trevor Lawrence is going to be a three-year starter, you know, two and three quarters year starter. Justin Fields is going to be a two-year starter. Um, That's a, that's a big deal for NFL teams so that they, they see you getting the reps. They're both going to come from respected systems, Here's what I would say. I think in, if they were in the same draft as Joe Burrow, the way Joe Burrow showed out this year, I think maybe Joe Burrow – I mean, Joe Burrow I think would be, still be in the conversation with them because I just think people saw the way Joe Burrow sort of like dissected defenses. Um, I think Trevor Lawrence and, and Justin Fields both might be better overall athletes than him, but Joe just seemed to have a real feel for the position. So I think it wouldn't be a sure thing that Lawrence or Fields would be number one ahead of Joe Burrow, but I think they'd be in the mix. I think either of them would go would have gone ahead of Kyler Murray because Kyler's just kind of a smaller guy. And again, I think Trevor and Justin are both bigger guys who have the same kind of athleticism. I think they both would have gone ahead of Baker Mayfield, who was the first quarterback in 18. They both would have gone ahead of Mitch Trubisky, who was the first quarterback in 17. And you can go back now and say, well, Mahomes and Watson – went after them, went after Mitch Trubisky. But people had questions about Mahomes and Watson coming in. I think it's possible that there will be fewer questions about Lawrence and Fields coming in. So I think both of them might have been the first quarterback off the board in 17. I think they would have gone ahead of Jared Goff in 16. 
I think they would have gone ahead of Winston, Jameis Winston, in 2015 because Winston had the off-field stuff that was an issue for him. They certainly would have gone ahead of Blake Bortles, who was the first quarterback in 2014. 2013, they certainly would have gone ahead of E.J. Manuel. So I think it's possible that when we think about Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence in the 2021 draft, they will be as good, as good as any quarterback draft prospect since Andrew Luck in 2012. In the mix with Joe Burrow, but as good as any of them because I just ran through the guys I think they would have been ahead of. Does that sound crazy to you, or do you really think about, Nathan, when we're thinking about the 2021 draft and Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, we're not just talking about two good quarterbacks. We're talking about two quarterbacks that are special. Yeah, I think we will be because I think Fields will be able to pretty closely replicate what he did last year, if not improve on it. And then at that point, you're talking about guys who played at you know top programs who who did this over an extended period of time. Um, you know, I think Blake Bortles, I think it was like the number three overall pick that yep. year. That was the um, Manziel year. Yep. Right. And it's it's um, teams are desperate to find quarterbacks. That's why you see them sometimes trading up to take guys who who even if they have a lot of questions seem like fringe guys but but quarterback has that juice and and teams are desperate to go find him and and get the get the guy that's going to change their franchise um and i think both lawrence and fields will go into next year's draft with a certain amount of stability i think teams will feel not just that there's a ceiling there but they'll feel pretty safe that they can go out and take those guys. They can be productive quarterbacks at the next level. You're not necessarily projecting either one of those guys. I think both those guys you look at and say those guys can come in and do something in an NFL offense. So let's run through this now, this idea of how many positions in the NFL are there where Ohio State does have one of the top five guys there. Um, I didn't plan this ahead of time, but I'm looking at the Ohio State draft list. This is another good, really, a really good website that I use a lot. Actually, I think it's run by a guy from Northeast Ohio. It's drafthistory.com, drafthistory.com. You can search by position. You can search by school. So let's just run through defensive end, right, with the Bosa brothers and now adding Chase into this. They clearly have guys who are among the top five defensive ends in the NFL. Do you agree with that? Yes. At defensive tackle – Cam Hayward is is kind of like a strong side end. I think he's kind of inside sometimes. I don't watch Pittsburgh Steelers game film. But he's a different kind of defensive lineman um, than the Bosa brothers. I don't know if he's quite top five, but he's like a really, really good, productive NFL player. So they at least have a have another guy on the defensive line that that's type of, that type of dude. So I'll throw Cam Hayward in that mix. Um, as a tackle strong side end, another guy to throw out there. Linebacker, they they had that guy with Ryan Shazier before his very unfortunate injury that ended his NFL career. You know, Jerome Baker's pretty good. Raekwon McMillan's pretty good. Um, I, I don't think, you know, Darren Lee really didn't, this kind of been a bust in the NFL, didn't work out for him with the Jets. Um, I don't think they have a linebacker that would really fit that mold. So not... Not really a linebacker there. Cornerback, yes. Marshawn Lattimore was the NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year his first year. You throw in Denzel. Um, I think, yes, that at cornerback, they have one of the top five guys, and now they've got another guy in Okuda coming down the pike. Would you agree with that? Correct. <clears throat> Safety, Malik Hooker, when he's healthy, he's been hobbled, you know, I think hobbled by injuries a little bit. I think he, when he's healthy, 
could be in that conversation, maybe. So it might be a little bit of a stretch, but I think if he's healthy, he gives you a chance to be in that conversation. Offensive side of the ball, Michael Thomas is the best receiver in the NFL. Do you agree with that? Yes. Tight end, they don't have it. Jeff Hireman and Nick Vanette were both drafted in the third round. Neither of them, I mean, they're fine. They're kind of in the mix. Um, neither has been like a superstar tight end or anything. Um, offensive line, Taylor Decker is like a good left tackle. Um, Billy Price has had some issues in Cincinnati. Pat Elfine's been, I think, a, a solid guy in the interior offensive line. Corey Lindsley has been a really good long-term starting center for the Green Bay Packers. Um, Jack Muhort kind of got hurt and washed out as a second-round pick. Offensive line is is not quite at that level unless, like, um, someone is slipping my mind. Um, I think Wyatt Davis has a chance to be, like, an elite offensive lineman in the NFL, but I, it's, nobody is calling um, Ohio State, like, offensive line you at the moment. Now, Orlando Pace was a Hall of Fame left tackle and one of the best guys to ever play that position, college or pro, um, but he's not in the league right now. So I would say they're a little shy in the offensive line right now. Running back, Zeke is there. And then quarterback we talked about. So, like, defensive end, cornerback, running back, receiver, they absolutely have that. And so it just would be fascinating. It re- I really do think it would be a game changer for them if they could have a quarterback um, reach, reach that level. Let's do this. Other guys on this roster. Who's another guy? Who's the next guy besides Justin Fields on this roster that you want to talk about as an NFL draft prospect who will be a 2020 Buckeye? Well, I think the the other guy who seems like a a sure thing is Sean Wade. Okay. It's funny. Not that many people um, brought up Sean Wade, maybe because it's almost too obvious, right? If that makes sense that like, I think it's possible that we're like already taking, um, Sean Wade for granted, but what is it? How do you view? I, I like really don't have anything to read on Sean Wade. I picked the best, the best answers, and I don't have a Sean Wade answer. Why? Why? Why do you think he'll be good as a pro? I mean, I think I, I've already, you've already seen just the kind of impact he can make. That it's not. Um, I think he, he's he's proven. I know it was in the slot, but I think he's shown that he has coverage skills. I think he's going to expound on those this coming season, you know, moving out to the outside. He's shown how physical he can be. He's shown that he's a strong technical guy. I think there's also just intangibles there. I think, you know, those things do matter when you're trying to decide whether a guy is uh, worth making the multi, multi, multi-million dollar investment in or whether he's somebody you're taking farther down in the draft. And he's the guy that I think will always stand up well there. Um, so I, he just – the other thing being just from everything we heard and, and people we talked to, just the, the scuttlebutt out there that he was a guy that was a, a a high draft pick, maybe not a first round pick, but seemed like a really light, strong likelihood of being a high draft pick this year um, without having proven himself as much on the outside. If he can go do that next year, I think it really solidifies him. He may be in the Okuda position. He may be the top cornerback in next year's draft. I think in my head at the moment, and he absolutely may prove me wrong, I think he's a slight cut below like Okuda and Marshawn Lattimore, but I think to me he's in the absolute next range yeah, of Ohio no State corners. You know, Marshawn went 11th. Okuda might go as high as third. Denzel Ward went fourth. Denzel was a little undersized, but he's super fast, right? I think Sean's a little bigger, maybe not quite as fast as Denzel. But I think to me, I'm thinking of Sean Wade. When you're talking about the Bradley Roby, Eli Apple, Gary on Conley range, um, then those are all first-round picks, not top 10, 
not top 15 guys, but like, I think there's a lot to like about Sean Wade. Um, there's a lot of like to like about a lot of guys. I wanted to read this from the 513 because this, I think, is, expresses things that a lot of Ohio State fans would think. Chase Young is the answer uh, for the guys in this draft just with the nature of his position. But my other answer is probably J.K. because I'm interested to see where he gets drafted and how much he'll actually see the field and what he does with his opportunities. He has kind of gotten the slow tag, but he's also got pretty reliable hands. He's a great runner of the football. I'm definitely going to be trying to steal him in my next fantasy draft. For current Buckeyes, I'll probably get in line with the obvious Justin Fields pick. But also Chris Olave is interesting. He reminds me of Michael Thomas a little. Great route runner, not highly rated out of high school, but a hard worker, good kid who gets it. Part of being successful at certain positions is who you get drafted to, I think. Olave is a guy that interests me because he was that. He was more of a recruit in the 300 range. He was productive. He contributed as a freshman, super productive as a sophomore. I know, I think we did a draft, a, a, a podcast a couple of weeks ago, I think where maybe we didn't project Chris Olave to go pro as a junior, and we got some pushback on that. Uh, I am very intrigued about how Chris Olave develops and maybe takes another step this year, and then what that would mean for him as an NFL prospect. Where are you on Olave? So much of what we talk about when we talk about draft prospects is not their college production. It's about size it's about like demonstrated speed it's about it's about showing yourself to be an athlete that separates and also produces because there's a lot of guys out there who catch balls and get yards at the college level and that can vary so wildly from program to program it's almost not even worth comparing to some extent when you're comparing guys as, as draft prospects chris Olave is 6'1 185 um it's not small but it's not like that that upper echelon kind of, you know, stature and, and physical just sheer size. And I don't know that he, I think he's fast, but I don't know that he runs some kind of insane number at the combine next year. So he's, he's really productive and I'm not, I'm not poo pooing that at all. I just don't know if that makes him a first round pick next year. And yeah, I, I think he, I think he probably ends up being a four year player. Yeah. I'll be very curious. Cause it'd be one of those things like, okay, well, if he's not a first round pick after his junior year, but he's, you know, second, third round guy. Would he stay to try to make himself a first round pick? You know, like that, he might be a guy who ends up having a very interesting decision. Um, from the 408, this person is very interested in Chris Olave. Look at some old film on Webster Slaughter. If you ever had Louis 13 cognac, smooth like velvet slippers going down your throat. That is very descriptive. I never had slippers go down my throat, and I never had cognac either. Um, but I do think he's smooth. Like, I do think um, – I've seen some bad route running in, with Browns receivers in the past couple of years. Ohio State guys run good routes. Like, it matters. And, like, um, you know, you see Terry McLaurin's success in the way that he just kind of pulled it all together at the NFL level and wound up being a more impactful player in the NFL than he was at Ohio State, partly because of opportunity. I think partly because it sort of took him that long maybe to bring everything together – um, Terry McLaurin was a third round pick wound up being like basically as productive almost as any rookie receiver last year. Like I, that's not really a great Olave comparison, but I think like in terms of the success, I, I that's a lot to ask, but I, I think it's possible Olave could be like maybe in that kind of range. This is a guy that I want to talk about among current prospects 
that again intrigues me, and a lot of this ties back to the tight end podcast we had for a daily pod a couple weeks ago from the 570. I'm most interested in seeing Jeremy Ruckert in the NFL. Why? Ohio State hates tight ends, and he's really talented, and I bet he will do really good stuff at the next level. He has all the tools an offensive coordinator would want in the NFL, and I bet they'll find a way to use him. Um, I'm sure you get a lot of fields, Wilson, Olave, Fleming, Jackson, Smith, Najigba, and Wade, so I went off the beaten path. But I'm also stoked to watch Justin Fields at the next level because he's better uh, than Trevor Lawrence from Clemson. This is Luke from Denver who always has good things to add. Um, that idea of Jeremy Rucker, we, we've sort of had this discussion about him as what his NFL, or what his Ohio State career is going to be like. When you hear a projection like that for the NFL for Rucker, what do you think? It's it's very difficult just as I don't know if he'll ever get a chance to show at Ohio State what he Okay, is. But, if he, but if he doesn't show it at Ohio State, so say he doesn't show it, Will he? Can he still be it in the NFL if he doesn't show it at Ohio State? He can, just because I think you have the combine, you have other avenues, you have people who look at his his. They see things on film that we don't, as far as the the full realm of his game. Do I think he's going to be a first round pick? I, I don't no, know. No, that's I, not the discussion. He's not going to be a first round pick. That's not the issue. Right. It's get is he going to be a good NFL player? Are you super interested to see what he's going to be like in the NFL based on I think it's very I think it's very plausible he could be he could be a protective NFL player because I think you know tight ends is one of those positions where all the time I think you see guys get in the right NFL system and it's a fit and um that's where some of their you know they get to be utilized in a way at the NFL level that they aren't always utilized at the college level and he's a guy that I could totally see fitting into that kind of uh history uh, Jeff Hireman has battled injuries, to be fair, uh, but he has played in 51 games in his first four NFL seasons. He played in 12, 14, 11, and 14 games in Denver. Uh, he started 29 of those games. He basically was Denver's starting tight end in 2018 and 2019. Jeff Hireman had 31 catches for 281 yards in 2018. He had 14 catches for 114 yards in 2019. Um, I'm just cautioning this. I, I think sometimes what happens is you get like underrated, then you get overrated, then you don't get opportunity. So people think when you finally do get opportunity, you're going to go nuts. Nick Vanette, um, in four NFL seasons, 16, 17, 18, 19, he's played in 55 games. He started 22 of them. Um, he was with Seattle for his first three seasons last year in the middle of his fourth season, he got traded from Seattle to Pittsburgh. Um, he has 61 career catches for 591 yards in 2018. He had 29 catches for 269 in 2019. He had 17 catches for 166. And like, uh, believe it or not, he now signed with Denver. So Nick Vanette and Jeff Hireman now both play for Denver as does Jake, Butt, the former Michigan tight end who's had a lot of injuries as well. So, like when you hear those numbers from Nick Vanette and Jeff Hireman, both these guys followed that Ohio State tight end path. They were both really good football players at Ohio State, didn't get a lot of chances to catch the ball. You thought, well, they project better as NFL tight ends. They have the size. They have the strength. They have the athleticism. They were both third-round picks, and they're fine. They're okay. Like, do you, is your instinct that when you hear those numbers for Hireman and Vanette, is your instinct like, well, Ruckert will do more than that? Or do you think it's possible he would fall into that kind of category? Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, when I hear what, what, I, the way I think Ohio State fans think of Jeremy Ruckert, they think of him as a level above that, right? 
it's certainly in terms of being a receiver, like a more productive receiver, a guy who contends to be a, you know, a, 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 a 12 team fantasy league starter and is a regular part of, I think, I still think that's what they project in their mind is what Jeremy Ruckert secretly is just being held back by the way, the dynamics of this offense. And I am not poo-pooing having a multi-year NFL career, being a third-round pick and sticking in the league for five, six, seven, eight, nine years. That is an amazing accomplishment. I'm just talking about, like, if you're expecting a guy, you know, he didn't have a huge opportunity here, but he's going to blow up in the league. It's like sometimes you can fall into that trap a little bit, and I think people have had some of those expectations. And then, guys, just it's just tough, man. It's tough. It's, it's tough to be a huge difference maker in the NFL. It's tough enough to stick in the NFL and make a living at this. Um, It is really hard to be next level difference maker. But uh, for instance, you know, and we've talked about this, we all saw it. Everybody who covered Ohio State saw it with Michael Thomas. So like if we had done this podcast four years ago or five years ago, I would have been saying, I want to see Michael Thomas in the NFL because I think that guy is going to be awesome. And then he was. So sometimes you do have a sense for it. I do think sometimes you can overrate your guys. Um, the other guys who were mentioned on this roster that people were interested in, Julian Fleming, Garrett Wilson got five votes. Julian Fleming got one. Zach Harrison got one. Tyreek Johnson got one, which was like super interesting of like, again, a guy who's never clicked for here. Um, just anybody else, Nathan, on 2020 roster that you think is worth talking about. A lot of these, it's like, what, what's Zach Harrison going to be like uh, in the NFL? It's like, oh my God, I don't, you know, how can we project that? From the 5-1-3, they said, Zach Harrison, because he's the heir apparent to the top five defensive end pick under Larry Johnson. Everything lines up for him right now. He has all the physical tools. He just needs to take a big leap with his technique, whether that's freshman to sophomore year or sophomore to junior year. I think we all see that potential with Zach Harrison. That's really obviously hard to project when he's only played a year of college football. Anybody else on this roster you want to dig in on for NFL stuff? Well, the first one quarterbacks are interesting, and that, but that's just so far down the line. And the other interesting wrinkle there is Kyle McCord coming in right after them. But you would assume that whichever one of these guys, you know, we maybe as early as 2021, talking about uh, Stroud and Miller, or Stroud or Miller, as obvious first round trajectory kind of guys or, or, or major, you know, NFL quarterback kind of guys, um, or, or maybe not major, but obvious quarterback kind of guys. But I, I, it's going to be interesting to see whether this kind of becomes the norm, because if, if you, if you go to Ohio state and you succeed as the quarterback under Ryan day, the, the kind of reputation he's starting to build, like, does that automatically put you as a, one of those top NFL draft prospects at that position. That's kind of what I guess what the reader was asking earlier about, you know, making this kind of a more of a, um, you know, Justin Fields being kind of the breakthrough to that. But if, it, if it's Haskins, then Fields, and then that next guy, whoever that is, now you start to get a, a pattern that, that separates Ohio State from some other programs. Uh, this person had a, had a good answer from the 734. Garrett Wilson is one of the most talented receivers in the country. He's by far, by far the most talented on Ohio State's roster. Can he be a top 10 pick and a number one receiver in the NFL at his height? The catch at Nebraska in the corner of the end zone was amazing. Antonio Brown-esque. Antonio Brown, 5'10", 185. Garrett Wilson, 6'1", 193. Um, I thought that was interesting. Like this, just It's funny to kind of have comparisons, but when you talk about Garrett Wilson in the slot in the middle of the field, Ryan Day sort of talked about his change of direction ability, um, his, his short area quickness. Um, boy, that now I, I'm, you know, you, you guys know, you know, I've been fired up about Garrett Wilson before. 
I can see getting really fired up about Garrett Wilson as a prospect because I do think he has a lot of things um, that seem like they they might translate as NFL traits. And it feels like he's maybe flashed enough of them in year one to really wet your whistle a little bit. You know what I mean? Do you agree with that? Yeah. I do, and I think you know, one of the things K.J. Hill was talking a lot about at the Combine was trying to prove his versatility, that like, yeah, okay, I succeeded in the slot, but NFL teams, you know, where, where you know, roster spots are more valuable, they want to see where else can they use you if they need you. Uh, for K.J. Hill, someone like him, maybe you have to squint a little bit to see it where he could be, you know, play on the outside. I don't think you'll have to with Garrett Wilson. I mean, he already showed it as a freshman. Even if Ohio State moves him inside and uses him there for the next two years, um, and he's even if he's prolific there, I think NFL teams will have more confidence that he's someone that they could pull outside if they had to, and it could line him up in multiple ways in a way that someone like AJ Hill probably can't. From the three three zero, I want to see how high Garrett Wilson gets drafted. This is not Steven. Um, so we appreciate <laughs> those comments. Let's take another quick break, and then we'll come back with a couple more guys in this current draft for the Buckeyes, try to squeeze in a couple more questions from you. We're going to dig in a little bit on Damon Arnett because people are really interested in sort of how everything's going to work for that guy. We'll be right back on Buckeye Talk. All right, let's talk Damon Arnett on Buckeye Talk. Again, he got, uh, let's see, eight votes among the guys you're most interested in. That was the second most of guys in this draft. J.K. Dobbins got 11. Damon Arnett got eight. Let's start with uh, someone who said they're driving the bus for Damon Arnett in this draft, because we appreciate references to our other podcasts. 513. I'm really interested in Damon Arnett for this draft. I think he's going to be a solid number two corner and has the dog in him that some guys lack. I think he might sneak into the second round. I'm driving the bus for Damon Arnett, all caps. Um, Do you buy that from the 513? Does that make sense to you, Nathan? I think he is a guy from conversations I had with him that realizes where his shortcomings were early in his career and how much that might have cost him, might still be costing him, but also um, played with a sense of purpose this last year. And I I do think that's something he can carry over to the next level. Now, whether that is, whether he'll still get exposed just for, for football reasons, we'll see. But I do think there is that, that there is some of that that's genuine, that he's a guy who the light went on a little bit for him this past year. Would you take him? Like if you're if you're sitting there, you your team has interest in a corner, you're sitting there like <clears throat> in the high 40s in the second round and Damon Arnett's on the board. Would you be like, yeah, I'm going to pull the trigger on Damon Arnett at pick 47 and, and make him um, – plan to make him a starting cornerback well it's interesting you ask that Douglas because I grew up following a team uh, called the Chicago Bears and uh, they're still the team that I check in on the most I guess you would say and most mock drafts have have Arnett as like a third round guy but there was a mock draft and I didn't write it down I can't remember who it was now but somebody had Arnett going 43rd overall, so early second round to the Bears, which is their first pick of the draft. Um, I'm not super excited about that prospect, so I would not take him there. I, in your in your what in, in the, the scenario you posit, I would not take him there. But I would farther down the third round, I think he's a more safe pick. Uh, Matt Miller from uh, Bleach Report, who, again, I, I just always think does a good job with his, like, uh, really in-depth seven-round mock draft. He has Damon Arnett going number 102 to the Steelers. 
um, in the third round. Uh, from the three six one, I think I'll pick Damon Arnett as my most interesting Buckeye. Young and Okuda will be fun to watch, but Arnett being a day two pick would be an all-time reclamation project. I remember people were disappointed that he was coming back um, for year five, and now look, you know, look what he did with that extra year. Uh, from the two one six, Damon Arnett, I was not a big fan of him until this year, and I think he really turned it around. It was a very solid player. I think it was his, with his tackling ability, he could be a good corner with the right team. Would like to think he'll be a second or early third rounder. He's the kind of guy the Steelers get to torture the Browns with for the next six years. And that was that Matt Miller uh, draft had Damon Arnett to uh, the Steelers in the third round. Um, here's another Damon Arnett one from the 5-1-3. I'm most interested in Arnett and how his game translates to the NFL. I think Chase and Okuda are no-brainers, but Arnett has his ups and downs at Ohio State, but I think he could be a 10-year player at cornerback. Um, Nathan, I think you're, you're, you were, you wrote some good stuff about Damon Arnett, and you talked to him at the Combine. Maybe this is wrong by me. He does, as you said, he knows he didn't maybe – do everything exactly right in his Ohio State career. There are some guys who do do everything right. I think Jeff Okuda from day one that he got to campus yep. was like totally locked in. So when I have a guy who maybe wasn't totally locked in but figured it out late, to me, if I'm drafting, I'm still – I'm a little nervous about that. I'm a little sure. nervous about that in round two. In round four, right? I mean, fourth rounders don't work out all the time. There seems to be enough maybe questionable film on Damon Arnett, grabby film, and then some really high-end elite film. I mean, if you go to the film breakdown guys on Twitter and around the league, um, there are some guys who are breaking down Damon Arnett film and, and say he breaks down like a number one corner. I would just be a re little reluctant on this stuff before he figured it out. Do you think that should be washed away? That like, nope, he was young. Some guys have different, you know, timelines. He's got it have no reservation. I, I I think it's fair to have reservation because again, it's not like he's a situation like Joe Burrow where he just didn't necessarily have uh, opportunities earlier in his career to play and then sort of exploded late in his career. I mean, Damon Arnett was on the field pretty early, right? I mean, he was starting as a sophomore, a redshirt sophomore. Yeah, no, he's played a lot. He has played a so, lot. So, you know, he's been on the field. And, and now that's also part of it, too, that maybe there's guys who, uh, it, due to circumstance, weren't being put on the field as redshirt sophomores. I remember seeing him in some of the highlights of Trey Sermon that people were impressed with from the um, Ohio State-Oklahoma game. And some of that was Damon Arnett trying to come up and make, like, open field tackles on a running back, and it wasn't working out at that stage of his career. But we saw him doing more impressive things like that, I thought, last year. I mean, I thought he, I thought he proved himself both in coverage and as a run support guy last year. I, I think there's, I think he's an NFL talent, but I do understand. Again, so are a lot of guys. Like when it comes to the draft field, a lot of those guys can plausibly say they're NFL talents. So which ones are you more confident in that there's less fluctuation, that there's a, that there's less of a, a, a drop potentially there in their floor? If, if it doesn't lock in for them mentally, I think people are going to have enough questions. They got spun as like character issues for Damon Arnett. And he really pushed back on that. We talked about this before about that being like, Hey, in this day and age, let's not use the word character. Like that's a tricky word to use because of what gets connotated with that. You know, there are people who thought that he just had kind of a bad attitude or maybe it was lazy or whatever. And those aren't good things either in terms of your potentially being an NFL draft prospect, but they're not as bad as, as you know, criminal things, things like that. So the character, the quote unquote character issues or the personal issues for Damon Arnett were all more about like coachability and things like that. I think he would even admit that was a fair thing. 
a year ago. It's why he didn't come out that year because it would have been a disaster for him. Probably he probably would not be anywhere. Might not even be anywhere near NFL football right now because I don't think he would have had the confidence of a, a franchise behind him. I think now if he gets taken, especially if he gets taken up second, third round, you're going to have a team that really believes in you. And it's not that they're going to necessarily give you leeway. I think they're going to give you support. I think that that gives them a better chance to stick because of what he proved this last year, both football-wise and personally. Uh, from the 717, interested in Arnett because until this past year, he was my least favorite Buckeye of all time because he was so grabby and got so many pass interference calls against him. Obviously, he turned a corner, and I loved his attitude this past year. So David Arnett definitely put himself in a different position. The thing that I will say is I think there's just a big difference between, like, the second round. If you're taking a guy in the second round, he needs to start for you as a rookie. He needs to, to help you right away. If you're taking a guy in the fourth round, okay, nobody's, like, relying on a fourth rounder to be a game changer for them. And I just, like – Work him in as a third corner, special teams early on. Like, if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. I'm more comfortable in round four than round two on Damon Arnett. And that is not – good luck, Damon Arnett, going in the second round and being awesome. Um, I agree I, with that, but we're also we're also talking about this in a vacuum, kind of just like general terms. We're not talking about – team with urgent defensive back needs and who else has but, already no, been taken. But there's always someone else to take, but there's always someone else to take. Whether you have urgent, first of all, if you're drafting too much for need in the draft, you're dead. You take the best player out there and you along the way, fill your needs, but nobody, I mean, in the end, there's always somebody else to take. So he also, he's competing against every other corner out there. And there are going to be 10 corners with similar profiles to him who maybe were always coachable, right? So, I mean, like, it's it's not going to come down to exactly, oh, well, you know, you don't fall two rounds because nobody needed a corner, you know? It's like, right. did you do enough for people to say, this guy instead of this guy? This guy, I believe in him. He's ready to help us right now. I can't miss. I'm pulling the trigger. Or, man, I like him, but I'm not sure – let me take this other super talented dude instead because there are super talented dudes everywhere. And I just wonder if there's enough of that that Damon Arnett winds up a little lower than you might think because there's just a slight hesitation because maybe for five years he wasn't locked in for five years. But again, if you want to watch the film and you want to only judge him on, on 2019, then I think maybe you can talk yourself into the second round. He's another guy who didn't do everything at the combine too. So I, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know what that means for each individual guy this year. Cause there's obviously there's always guys who don't do stuff at the combine and a lot of them didn't get to make up for it at their pro day, but he's another guy in that boat. I think, I think not much. I think it's going to in the end just mean that people just go by film. I think it kind of washes. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. All right. Let's run through a couple of people in this draft. Six, one, four. I'm most excited to see Rashad Barry get picked in this draft. Even if Ohio State doesn't use the full potential of a tight end, I'd love to see them ex uh, succeed in the NFL. I want to see Barry break off a play-action block inside the red zone and catch a touchdown. Um, do you think Rashad Barry will be drafted? I don't think he'll be drafted. Um, I think he might have been a guy who could have worked himself into a draft spot if he had had the pro day opportunity or if he'd gotten a combine invite. Um, but I, I also think he's probably one of those guys that that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, there's always that, is it better to get drafted in the seventh round or is it better to have your 
choice of where you want to go. I think he's on an NFC. I think he's definitely signing with somebody. And I think there's, as we've talked about, there's an opportunity for him to be kind of a niche guy who can stick in the NFL and, and have a role. Um, I think, but he, I I'd think be surprised if he gets drafted. Teams. I think he can play special teams and make a roster. I think you're right. I might, yeah. I might go more undrafted free agent who makes a roster. Uh, right. From the 319, Jordan Fuller. Interested where solid athleticism but extreme smarts fits at the safety position, but wonder if his lack of speed will make him a late-round guy who never really gets a shot. I think that that text might be a little too real. I think I might agree with that like across the board. What do you think about Jordan Fuller? I definitely think it would be a late round pick. I don't think he's someone who's going to probably rise up into the middle rounds just because of what you're talking about with athleticism and things like that. Um, now, whether he, whether he sticks beyond that, I, that's a better, that's a bigger question. Um, but he's also, again, like we said before, when you're drafted that low, it just gets tougher. Like you, you're, 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 you don't have necessarily the same um, support invested in you from the franchise that you might, if you're an early round pick, you've got to prove it a little bit more, but he's also a guy with his mentality, his intelligence. I, I, you know, I, I would, I don't know that I think of him as being like some kind of longtime NFL player, but I think it wouldn't surprise me if he got on a roster and, and for, for a little while. From the 517, I'm most excited to see Jonah Jackson in the NFL. I hear such great things about his pre-draft workouts, and Ohio State has a history of producing top-of-the-line interior linemen, so I wonder if he could be next. Caveat on this, I'm not sure Ohio State gets credit for producing top-of-the-line interior linemen when Jonah Jackson was only here for a year. I'm always just like, when Wisconsin is like, Russell Wilson, it's like, okay, I get it. Like, Jonah Jackson came here fully formed. Jonah Jackson was Jonah Jackson, which is why Ohio State wanted him. Now, you know, did he probably get a little better at Ohio State than if he had stayed at Rutgers? That's why he came to Ohio State. But Ohio State did not make Jonah Jackson. So I don't really want to give Ohio State a lot of credit um, for him. However, that dude is like my most misunderstood guy. PFF has him as the number two interior offensive line prospect that's guards and centers that's how high this guy might end up going like I think we're talking about that like this dude is like maybe a second round pick right Matt Miller now on the other end Matt Miller who I've been praising he has him in the fifth round to the Dolphins so PFF number two interior offensive lineman we know people don't necessarily go nuts for guards but it feels like this guy just might have the right package of tools to interest NFL teams. I think the answer of where he gets picked is somewhere in between those two possibilities. I don't know that I see him maybe rising all the way up in the second round, just again, in interior offensive line. There's some other positions that are pretty deep, but third round seems very plausible for me. Maybe even a top 100 pick. <sighs> very plausible for me. If he, because I, the other thing about PFF is it's, it, that's all very based on, you know, um, metrics and, and things like that, that isn't necessarily, so they're very heavy on those things. Whereas NFL teams might be more heavy on more physical things or finding somewhere in between. So I, I still, you know, I think third round seems very plausible for him, which is why he came here. It, it was about, you know, kind of putting himself on that, um, getting the, getting the kind of exposure it wasn't you know, getting better is one thing, but, um, getting the exposure and getting kind of in a program where you can sell yourself a little bit better, definitely helped him. I think he gets, he would have probably got drafted if you come out of Rutgers, then you're definitely talking about lower in, in, in the draft. Um, he came because Ohio State lost Michael Jordan to the NFL draft and had a need for a starting guard. Michael Jordan in last year's draft was 
it picked in the fourth round at 136 by the Bengals. Um, he did end up playing for them. So fourth round, 136. Like, I think my instinct would have been like, uh, I probably think Michael Jordan is a better NFL prospect um, than Jonah Jackson. But Michael Jordan also was forced to play center his last year. And sort of, I think maybe people got a weird evaluation on him because he wasn't at his best. He started nine out of the 13 games he played for the Bengals last year. I think he took a job like kind of in the middle of the year. Um, so if Michael Jordan went in the fourth round, I do think Jonah Jackson could go higher than that because I think um, Jonah Jackson probably put down better film in his final year in college um, than Michael Jordan did. And I think Michael Jordan ended up falling a little bit for that. So um, I would not – I had no idea. I, I did not know. When we were watching Ohio State play – in 2019 did you watch that Nathan and think wow Jonah Jackson there's a third round pick or like or is this like crazy to you you would see it a little bit on the rewatches um what he was out in front doing in that offense as far as just like leveling guys and and, and clearing out space um they I felt like they ran to his side a lot letting him kind of pull out lead the charge a little bit um him and, and Bowen on that side especially with Fields. Um, so I, I, you saw it a little bit on the rewatch. There's so much going on in the middle of a game that you don't necessarily, it's hard to grade an offensive lineman in real time, but no, I, I, I think he's legitimately, I mean, there's obviously I mean, there's just so many factors going to it, but I'm mean, just his size, what he has intangibly. And then I think what he was kind of out demonstrating, I mean, he wasn't just another offensive lineman in that group. I thought he stood out at times the way he played. And again, it's all three of those guys in the interior helping each other. But again, that's something he wouldn't have had at Rutgers either. You, you would, he wouldn't have been able to um, kind of share the load the way he um, does at Ohio state, which lets each guy kind of get to maximize his talents. I don't think he's as athletic as Wyatt Davis, but I think he's like really solid. And lots of times, I mean, that smart teams, you find like linemen in the third and fourth and fifth rounds who you just think are really solid. And then you just, play him and start him for 10 years. And I think he could be that kind of guy. I think um, he's thought of as being really, really technically strong too. Yeah. It's something that Ohio state saw in him and the, the Ohio state's defensive linemen were telling their coaches about him um, before they went and got him. And I think that's still carrying over to the NFL evaluations of him. From the 937, I'm excited to see how Austin Mack does in the NFL. I think he'll be one of those guys who isn't necessarily a standout pro bowler every year. He's more the type to do his job well, flying under the radar, and stay in the league for at least a decade. Probably gets a ring along the way. Um, that's from Josh, and he has a follow-up I want to get to, too. What do you think of that? That evaluation of Austin Mack um, surprised me a little bit. That wasn't the only person who said Austin Mack, though, from the 419 I'm excited to see Austin Mack. I always felt like he was ready to be the number one receiver, but injuries and depth were always an issue. I could see him being a Terry McLaurin in the right situation. Um, what do you think of that? I disagree with the Terry McLaurin. He's not uh, as fast as He's, he's not, as not fast. nearly as fast as, as McLaurin. And that was the thing. Like He did go to the combine. He did he went through, I think, most things to the combine. I don't know if he did bench press. But I, he didn't separate himself from a speed standpoint. Neither did Ben Victor, neither did K.J. Hill. They were very uh, just ordinary from a speed standpoint. Not slow necessarily, but ordinary. So uh, combined with him not being an especially tall guy, 
um, combined with probably not having a, a ton of necessarily like standout film just because the way they rotate guys and because of some of the other things he ran into. I, he seems more like another undrafted free agent guy to me, especially in this class. It just seems really deep on receivers. And I feel like when we talk about like KJ Hill, I can see like I can envision his role. I see how KJ Hill fits in the NFL. Austin, although he can, and you've you've talked about versatility several times. He played outside. He played the slot at Ohio State a little bit last year. Um, I mean, he's a great guy. He's like, I think he's a really hard worker. Like he's, I think he's like a really good guy. He's a really smart guy. He's a really like engaged guy. You'd want him in the locker room. I think he plays special teams for you. Um, I just don't know that you would use a pick on him because I think you could get him in camp and throw him in there and see what he can do. Could he be like a fourth or fifth receiver on a team and play some special teams? I mean, again, I saw some of the receivers the Browns ran through as their fourth and fifth receivers in the past couple of years. And I think Austin Mack could be that, but that's what I think. Like fifth receiver, you know, maybe make the game day roster, be a, a primary special teams guy, but I don't, I don't know that you have to draft that. Maybe you get drafted in the sixth round, but maybe not. Um, from the 937, the follow-up from Josh, when you're on an airplane and the attendant asks, can I get you something to drink, what do you usually get? Please don't say chocolate milk and root beer. My wife almost told me I can't listen to you anymore, and I think a flight attendant might just kick you off the plane for asking for that. They'd probably think you're on a trip for some illegal activities. Don't worry, Nathan. You're still my favorite. Thanks, guys. Stay healthy, Josh. Have you tried to order chocolate milk and root beer on a plane? Or is that just at home? That's that's definitely just a, a thing that you drink at home alone with some sort of self-pity involved usually. Um, actually, no, it's good. I'm going to stand by it. It's good. Try it. What, what do you have to lose? Try it. Well, let's try it. When we get back together, we'll do that. The first podcast that we have back together, we made Stephen eat pizza, and now you'll make us drink chocolate milk and root beer, and we'll yeah. see how it goes. Um, so we can look forward. So people will be excited for the coronavirus situation to end for two reasons. A, so the world to get back, can get back to normal. B, so they can listen to us drink chocolate milk and root beer. Um, to, answer, to, uh, to answer the question, I'm typically just getting water, except sometimes I will get ginger ale, maybe a Diet Dr. Pepper, but a lot of times it's just water. I know that the water, it's not like it's tap water. It is bottled water. But I still, if I'm playing, paying $350 for an airline ticket, I feel like I want to make them give me something more than water. So I would rather get a drink and like throw it out the window and at least get my money's worth. But normally I always get a Diet Coke and then I like make my children also get Diet Coke so that I can have their Diet Coke. And sometimes I do ask for the whole can because, again, I figure, you know, for 400 bucks, give me a full can of Diet Coke. Don't just give me seven ounces. That's not. Wrong. I do love. I do love getting the Southwest drink tickets for, um, for those flights. Uh, the problem is, we. <laughs> I like to use them on my like outgoing flights on a vacation. It's always like a problem to use them. Like how much? First of all, I think they make them pretty strong. And then like, okay, well, I just landed at this airport and I've got to drive home. So, we, I, I don't know. I, I have to like time them up really uh, strategically. Nice. Nice. You're, you're really telling some stories about your beverage consumption on this podcast that uh, we all find very interesting. Um, from the 319, this is interesting. Benjamin Victor is the Ohio State player I'm most interested in. Always liked him, never lived up to the hype, though he was productive. He had three different quarterbacks, hoping he'll break out as a pro. Michael Thomas is my favorite former Buckeye who's now a pro. Solid Buckeye, but don't think anyone expected him to do what he's done. I did. Kind of like Benjamin in college. Always liked him, but not really talked that highly while he was in college. Five receivers taken ahead of him. 
in the draft, but look at him now, talking about Michael Thomas. Driving the bus for Benjamin in the NFL from the 319. Love the passion. Love the text. Again, if you want to be able to send us texts like this to get read on the pod, try it at 614-350-3315. I completely disagree with it, though. There, to me, the, the Benjamin Victor and Michael Thomas as a comparison is is not right. Uh, Michael Thomas could have been a 1,200-yard receiver at Ohio State. They just didn't run the offense that way. Ben Victor was a lot of potential for four years. And, you know, if he wants to put that Penn State catch and run on film and, like, show that um, to teams, but I think he didn't do it consistently enough. I think maybe, like, on some level, he might interest teams more than Austin Mack because at least, like, you can see the the up, up, upside there with mm-hmm. Ben Victor because he is kind of a bigger guy and in the moment. he. But I, I think I'd rather have Austin Mack because I think I believe in Austin Mack to do – kind of the little things and I just don't really think Victor's going to make it as much of an NFL guy and I think I'd rather have Mac as a fifth receiver special teamer so um, again I love this stuff but I think we have to be careful of it's like hey Michael Thomas didn't do much and now he's the best receiver in the NFL so I believe in Ben Victor you just have to be a little careful with your comparisons and that is not one that I would make I I I I, I also disagree about the, the Michael Thomas comparison, but I, I think I agree with the sentiment that there's something there with him physically that he may be able to set himself apart from just this glut of undrafted free agent receivers or, or seventh round receivers and may be able to convince a team that there's something there to take a chance on that they wouldn't necessarily for a guy who's shorter, doesn't even have some of those explosive moments on film. I could see somebody taking a, a chance on him and maybe I, I could see him maybe finding one of those, you know, deep in the rotation spots on an NFL team. But I, I agree that he has a lot to prove from a consistency standpoint. Hey, one thing I wanted to throw in before I forget about this, I did in the end then project every, um, every Ohio state player that would be drafted right off this team that we talked about the first rounders, but just to, I, I forgot to include this before. I wanted to clean this up because I actually did the stinking research. So the 2002 national title team, and I apologize if, I, if I'm somehow off a little bit on this. I went through all the rosters and all the drafts. Ohio State's 2002 national title team, they had 33 guys off that roster who eventually were picked in the NFL draft, eight first-rounders. The 2014 national title team, 31 guys picked off that roster, nine first-rounders. And so when I did my quick little thing for the 2020 project projected roster, I wound up with 31 total draft picks, seven first rounders. So that's in that range. Certainly not crazy. I'm not sure if I can read my handwriting, who I said the picks would be. We talked about the seven first rounders for 2020. I guess I also said Jeremy Ruckert, Cody Simon, Lathan Ransom, Luke Whipler, Darian Henry, Josh Myers, Thayer Munford, Harry Miller, Nicholas petit Frere. Chris Olave, Legend Cavazos, Baron Browning, Jamison Williams, Teron Vincent, C.J. Stroud, Seven Banks, Tyreek Johnson, Jackson Smith, Najigba, G. Scott, Josh Proctor, Pete Warner, Cam Brown, uh, Court Williams, and Master Teague. So those were the 24 guys who I said would be drafted who weren't in the first round. And then Justin Fields, Julian Fleming, Garrett Wilson, Zach Harrison, Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis, and Paris Johnson. So I'm not going to ask you if you think Luke Whippler is going to be a third-round pick or a sixth-round pick four drafts from now. But, I mean, Ohio State's got a lot of talent, right? I mean, I guess most of the time on this podcast we're just finding different ways to say that, but they have a lot of talent. 
No, that, that sounds like a plausible number to me. That's how many they should probably have on their roster at any given year. You know, I, I, it would be interesting to go back and not just look at the national championship years, go back and look at pretty much every year is that kind of the number. Is there ever really a big dip or a big climb off of that, like, high 20s, low 30s number? That just seems like the kind of realm that they should always live in. Did you have both freshman quarterbacks on that list? I did Stroud? not. I put Stroud and not Miller just because, like, I don't think both guys are going to stick around. And then it's like, would I, you know, I guess do you But count? they both could end up as NFL draft picks. Yeah. One of gonna leave. But, but I'm also, like, not – I guess I'm, like, not counting Joe Burrow. Like, if I did a list right, I mean, I don't okay. know. You know what I mean? Like, does Joe okay. Burrow yeah, – I see what you mean. Okay. State? So um, there are dips. It's interesting how it goes. There, there are still often dips. Maybe there won't be dips anymore. But like 2015, Ohio State had five guys drafted in the 2015 draft, and then they had 14 guys drafted in the 2016 draft. So uh, last year they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine guys drafted. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys the year before. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys the year before. So I guess if we're – talking about this right now, Nathan, and we'll finish up with like the two guys that we haven't talked about at all yet, who are going to be the highest picks for Ohio State. How many guys are going to end up being drafted in this draft, right? One, two, I don't know. Like, is it going to be like seven or eight? What's the final number going to be? Six, seven. I'm, I think I'm pretty confident in seven. Um, I've seen People suggest that B.B. Landers could also be a low-round draft pick. Um, but I would – I would, so I guess I'd put the number I, – I'd set the line at like seven and a half. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nine. I think it'll be nine. I, I keep forgetting. I didn't have Young and uh, Okuda on this list. All right, so give me your list so that everybody knows what we're talking about here. Young, Okuda, Dobbins, Arnett. Harrison, Hamilton, Hill, Jackson, and Fuller. Okay. Uh, I think eight for sure. I think Jordan Fuller is the first not 100% guaranteed to be drafted. But I think Young, Okuda, Dobbins, Arnett, Harrison, Jackson, Hamilton, Hill are eight guys who are guaranteed to be picked. And I think they'll all be picked. I mean, I think they'll be picked before. Like, I'm not even sure. I don't think there's any seventh rounders there. I'm not sure there's sixth rounders there. Those guys might be all off the board in the first five rounds. And then you get into Fuller, um, Barry, like a guy like Jay Sean Cornell, Mac or Victor, right? You get into one of those. So if you're talking about eight, maybe you could get to 10 if everything falls right. So let's finish with the guys that are going to go first for Ohio State. We know former Buckeye Joe Burrow is going to go number one. The guy that I think is the best Michael Thomas comparison in, in a weird way is Jeff Okuda. Jeff Okuda, to me, is the Michael Thomas of defensive backs. Not pure, raw, blazing, obvious athleticism, but a complete pro has been in an NFL mindset for several years as a college player, really skilled, really technical, and a really good athlete, and is going to work his butt off, and I think is going to act like a five- or eight-year NFL vet from the minute he gets to his first NFL camp. I think that's what Michael Thomas did from the 3-3-0. I'm most interested to see Jeff Okuda in the NFL because I think he's the most talented cornerback to enter the league in a decade and the best Ohio State DB since Sean Springs. He stepped up in the biggest way in the biggest moment against Clemson, and he'll have an instant impact at the next level. I know there have been evaluators who have said he's the best NFL corner prospect out of college since Jalen Ramsey. 
I might argue that Marshawn Lattimore is a smidge more athletic in a pure athleticism kind of way. Would I take Jeff Okuda over Marshawn Lattimore? I'd drive myself nuts. I'm probably 55-45 on that. I really liked Marshawn Lattimore. I think Jeff Okuda showed – I mean, he did. He showed it over a longer time at Ohio State. But I believe in Jeff Okuda a 1,000%, and I think he is an all-pro cornerback. And whether he goes three or whether he might fall a little bit, I 100% believe in him as an NFL prospect. Nathan, where are you on Okuda? I think it's really fascinating what happens if Washington does not take Chase Young number two. If they take Tua or if they trade out of that pick and to somebody else who takes a quarterback. Because now all of a sudden Detroit is sitting with either Chase Young or the guy who positionally they probably need even more, Jeff Okuda, and that choice at number three. I think that's really interesting um, because I think – as great as Chase Young is, it almost overshadows how great Jeff Okuda is. And um, it, it, it wouldn't, it, it's not, it's within the realm of possibility that he has the best NFL career of the guys, um, the biggest NFL impact of the guys in this draft, maybe even more than Chase Young and more than, than Joe Burrow, just because of what he can be immediately. Um, you know, a guy who can not only be a starter immediately, but a guy who can very quickly get himself to a Pro Bowl level. Um, playing cornerback and being a, a just that reliable, that technically strong, um, that much of a disruptor. I, I, I can totally see it. I, I think he, I, I think people, and there, I wrote a thing today for the site, just kind of talking about the scenarios where he could fall. Cause he's also a guy that because of positional need, you can see that happening too. There are plausible reasons why each team after three, four, five, you could see him start to tumble. And I think he could, there's a scenario where he looks like the steal of this draft looking back. If he's a guy that falls into the, bottom half of the top 10 from the 734 Marlin from the 734 Okuda will be a shutdown corner during his first three years hold out then become one of the highest paid corners in NFL history on the second deal the Michael Thomas plan um there was a, a the Browns had this decision a couple years ago when they took Denzel Ward at four over Bradley Chubb they took corner over pass rusher and there is some school of thought in the NFL that as you must affect the quarterback, there is some data that would tell you that a corner actually is even more valuable than a pass rusher. So I think if somebody would have a decision somehow on Chase or Jeff, that would enter the discussion. I would take Chase Young ahead of Jeff Okuda, like 100 times out of 100. If somehow that scenario happens, Nathan, and somehow Detroit has the choice, and you are the GM, who would you take? I would take Chase Young. I would take Chase Young. But Okuda's going to be awesome. So, like, you know, that is not at all anything about uh, Okuda. It is about Chase. And from the 239, I'm most interested to watch Chase Young and see if he ends up making it to Canton. Long way away, but he has a chance. As for players um, that are there now, this guy really likes the Bosa brothers in the NFL. And that does fascinate me. How does Chase Young fit in? with Nick and Joey as we start comparing them as NFL players. Nick helped the team get to the Super Bowl as a rookie. Nick was incredibly impactful as a rookie. I've said that I think Chase is sort of the peak of the Ohio State defensive end world, that Joey was great. Nick, I think, was similar to Joey. They each had their different strengths, and I've explained that a million times, but I think I would maybe rate them the same. And if I'm given 
I mean, it's like if I would say that Joey and Nick were each a 98, I might say that Chase is a 99. So that's what we're talking about with Chase Young. I actually heard one person that I respect who has some questions about Chase and, and his technique, which surprised me. I think Chase is can't miss. I think Chase, you know, Nick got lucky that he went to the 49ers who had the second pick, but were ready to turn it around immediately. If Chase goes to Washington, Washington is not going to be that. They're not going to be ready to, to turn it around immediately. But I think Chase projects as a potential Hall of Fame type of player. Where are you on Chase? Oh, I no, I agree. I, I think the, the things that I'm seeing with the idea that Washington might take someone like Tua instead of, of Chase, um, I, I honestly, I'm not sure that Cincinnati shouldn't take Chase, um, but I know how badly they need a quarterback, and, and, and Burrow obviously proved himself last year. But, no, I, 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 I agree with you. I think he's a guy that has that kind of ceiling. There aren't that many guys, even when you're talking about the top of the NFL draft, you can certainly say, oh, I think this guy's got a Hall of Fame ceiling. I, I, I think that about Young, and I think I think that about Okuda maybe too, but it's it's – uh, young, just the way he can possibly affect the game from day one, I think he, he – I would definitely put him in that conversation. The, the, the thing that fascinates me about Akuda too, is what happens – you know, Detroit's got some opportunities. They can trade down from three to five with someone like Miami who wants a quarterback really badly, still end up with Akuda and still help themselves at other positions. That might be the best thing for, for everybody involved, for Akuda and for the Lions. All right. You know what? We normally get into like a second group of like, let's talk about other stuff. Um, let's save that for the rest of the daily pods uh, on Thursday and Friday. We have some good questions from our tech subscribers, but I thought that was a good meaty draft discussion that talked about both the future and what's going to happen um, in eight days. So I'm happy leaving it there and, and making this thing a little closer to two than two and a half. Or is there anything you want to add, Nathan? Nope, that covers it. All right, so that's our draft preview. Um, the draft is going to start on Thursday, April 23rd, so we wanted to give you a full week with this pod rather than trying to do it next week, and you only have a day to digest it. So that's what we think of uh, the 8 to 10 Buckeyes that we project will be picked. We certainly will have coverage of the first round on that Thursday, the second and third round on Friday, rounds four through seven on Saturday. Um, and now that that's over – um, we'll start, again, digging back in on this 2020 roster. So we have a lot of good questions about that. We'll, you'll see if you send us podcast questions um, as a tech subscriber, you'll see those sprinkled in in the daily pods. We have a lot of good stuff that we'll get to. So we appreciate anybody who's part of that. Again, 614-350-3315. Drop the reviews on iTunes if you'd be so kind. Uh, make sure you're reading our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. Um, and uh, the favorite modern football Buckeye bracket finishing up. Uh, we will have a, a podcast where we, we dig into a little bit of how the voting shook out, uh, who won, why people said who they voted for in the final four. So we'll probably get, uh, get, that, uh, get to that on one of the daily pods later in this week. But for now, thanks for listening to our big Wednesday Buckeye talk. We always appreciate uh, have fun going for a long time with you guys. So for Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk.